Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is, huh? Hump day! Happy Hump Day, everyone, and welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN with Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jeweler. Good morning, CD. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Getting ready for the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm not as fired up as you are because I don't get that tingly feeling because yeah. I didn't play in the actual game. Hats, t-shirt games, and, yep. and trophies are, are what we play for, Randy, and it, it's one of those games. You have to be thrilled, excited, you know, just there's going to be a night or two where, where you know, these guys aren't going to be able to sleep well, just kind of waking up, thinking about what's going to happen or what you need to do. It, it, it becomes a little bit uh, – it can become overwhelming, but it is extremely fun and, and something you look forward to. Your Super Bowl champion's hat and T-shirt. Do you have them, like, framed in a shadow no, box? I have no clue where they are. Well, no, really? actually, I know where the I, – I, I think I still have the AFC North champion T-shirt. My So, so my son – has this thing where he goes in into the storage room where all of my stuff mm-hmm. is. I have helmets. He's placed in in the the in his playroom. He's taking them all out. <laughs> he takes my jerseys that are not framed and puts them on his shoulder pads and walks around in them. So sometimes I don't know where my things are until I go upstairs and I look around. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, yeah, I'm, Dad? What are you, you're just sitting in the box? <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's I know where it is. So he he tends to move things. That's pretty funny. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. His thing. Here's what we got coming up on the show. Jason Isringhausen is going to join us later. Uh, is he still in the Cardinal organization and works with minor leaguers? And uh, CD was asking the other day. It's a legit legit question that we never really think about. How does a guy become a Triple A pitcher from Double A, and how do the Cardinals decide what do you have to do to become a major league pitcher? Izzy will have those answers for us coming up in the eight o'clock hour. We're also going to talk to Bill Miller. He's he's the president and CEO of the American Gaming Association. It might be a big deal this week. And the founder of ESPN, Bill Rasmussen, is going to join us also in the nine o'clock hour. Last night over at Chaffetz Arena, good win for the Billiken CD, seventy six seventy one over Rhode Island. It was not the most aesthetically pleasing contest. Billikens did have a nice offensive run to start the second half, but again, they had a lead in the last five minutes that slipped away. It was a tie game late, and then Gibson Jimerson hit a three-pointer late to put the the uh, Billikens ahead, and they wound up winning it 76-71, to and during that game, Yuri Collins became the all-time assist leader in the Atlantic 10 Conference, so congratulations to Yuri. Congrats. Great job by him. Congrats to him. It, it, it stopped the two-game skid for them. Obviously, this is a game that they needed to win. You talked about uh, the importance of them winning the A-10 so that they can potentially get that double buy. That that's the thing that they're vying for because 
other than that, their tournament hopes may not be there if they're not able to win the A-10. So, you know, good job getting the win. Obviously, you don't want to let the lead slip away and, and have to scratch and claw back into games or, or even put yourself in a position where you allow the team some momentum. Uh, Got to correct that, but to stop the two-game skid, obviously a good thing. And Mizzou doing Mizzou things over in Columbia. They took care of South Carolina 83-74, typical Missouri game. They were 12 of 25 from three-point land, 48%, and Missouri maintains their status as one of the top three scoring Power 5 teams in the country. Is this stressful to watch that team? Now, is it is it knowing that they're going to shoot that many shots, shoot that many threes, Obviously, when you're hitting them, you're 48. percent That's mm-hmm. that's wonderful. The last game that they couldn't find the bucket, they couldn't find a shot to go in, and they lost. So is it is it can it be a kind of a roller coaster ride watching this team? I don't. I'm not no, that invested I'm in them, either. so I'm not. Yeah, it, and I think it that's doesn't bother if, me as much. Yeah. But I would think from if Mizzou you fans are emotionally invested. It is, but from a pure entertainment standpoint, it's a lot of fun. Shoot them up. We we shoot them and and see if they fall or not. It is what it is. (laughs) But I think that's the way that Dennis Gates has built the team for this year. And the team is going to be better once the tournament starts, once the, the SEC tournament gets underway. I believe that team will be even better than it is right now. They seem to be getting incrementally better as they go along. Is this style of play conducive for multiple tournament wins no. for for multiple for a run in the tournament. We haven't seen it, have we? No. We, we've never seen it in the tournament where a team that allows this many points and doesn't get stops has because been able to sustain things during the course of the tournament. The competition gets better the, the further along you go. And and I the reason why I ask that is because if you are a Mizzou fan, if you're a, a college fan of any team, you have the expectation or you want your team to compete and possibly win a championship. But if you know going in that this is not sustainable, how excited could you rock? You're you're a Mizzou fan. You're a Mizzou guy. How excited are you for the tournament? Incredibly excited. I mean, I knew what we were going to get from Mizzou teams a lot of the times under Conzo Barton, and usually that meant it was going to be a slog. Well, that, that, well listen, Rock, stop. No, but, that, but, that's but completely it's, it's different. about what you, it's, it's, it's fun. This fan, is fun to watch as a fan. Expectations is how is how you're going to react in the biggest way, and so the fact that the defense is porous, and sometimes they have games where they can't hit hit the three. The fact that any game against any team, I can come in knowing if they hit fifty percent from three, which they can do, they can win this game. And so, listen. It might go really well for two or three, <laughs> two or three wins in, in the NCAA tournament. But here's the thing: three wins in the NCAA tournament at the same time would pretty much be my best season as an as a Mizzou basketball fan. Nah, okay. When they have played long athletic teams this year, they lost to Kansas ninety five to sixty seven. They lost to Alabama eighty five to sixty four. They lost to Kentucky 89-75. Teams that are built on length and athleticism, mm-hmm. which is what every team should be built on. Missouri has been drilled in those games. And ultimately, those are the teams that wind up playing in and are highly seeded in the NCAA tournament, right? So it's going to be a problem for Mizzou. But it's the first year, and it's essentially a team of transfers. Yeah. To be doing what they're doing under those circumstances, I find to be really impressive. I'm I'm really happy with where they are. And by the way, from a talent perspective, and they're, it's, I'm not saying they're not talented, 
But I do think Gates is getting the most out of the players that he has. I, I agree with that. I think that that at some point, though, uh, and maybe it's next year, maybe if it's not on this run, you have to be more sound on the defensive yeah. end. You yeah, gotta, he the, you got to lock yeah. down. And, and defense is not about how skilled you are. Defense is about effort. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You don't have to be overly skilled to to play defense. Size and speed and quickness help, but effort helps the most. So. If you are willing to put in the effort on the defensive end, most times people don't play defense because it affects the offensive end and they right. don't want to do that. But if you do that, it helps you win more games. And a couple of things. Number one, he's a Leonard Hamilton disciple. Mm-hmm. So if he, ultimately, that's the, the brand that they're going to play. But the other thing is, I think that he wanted to build an entertaining team that put butts in the seats this right. year. That got up and down the floor. Yeah. If, if you're not able to play the kind of defense that he wants to play because of athletic limitations, then run up and down the floor and make it appealing to fans. And they are I'm turning out and showing up. Yeah. Yep. Right. Last night in L.A., LeBron James became the all-time scoring leader in NBA history. Third quarter against, and who did they beat in that game? It was uh, OKC, they, right? They, they're, they, they're playing they, OKC. Randy, they, 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 they didn't win. Oh, but at least LeBron got his he, points, he got his. right? He got the <laughs> He got the basket that put him ahead of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with the all-time points lead in the NBA. Here come the Lakers with 25 seconds remaining in the quarter. Westbrook's got it just inside half court. Westbrook with it. Give it to LeBron at the right elbow. LeBron, one-on-one against Kenrick Williams. Backing him in. Turns. Shoots. Scores! There it is! Oh, hail the new king in town! And he finished with 38,340 for the game. So this begs the question, King James, are you the GOAT? I think it's great barbershop talk. It's, um, it's going to happen uh, forever and ever. Um, you know, if I was um, the GM or, or whatever the case may be of a, of a franchise that was starting up and I had the number one pick, I'd take me. But that's just me because I believe in myself. I know what I bring to the table. Um, you know, a guy that has been able to um, transform his game over the course of 20 years to be able to play any position in this league and excel at any position. You know, I can play one through five. Um, you know, I've led the league in assists. Um, you know, I've been able to do whatever this this game um, has wanted me to do. I mean, kudos to him for breaking the record. Mm-hmm. I think that that is an amazing feat. Uh, it's a testament to his longevity, to his ability to play at a high level for an extended period of time. I, I'll, I, my, my mother taught me if you don't have nothing good to say, don't say oh, nothing at all. Oh. So I'll leave it at that. I, I just, I would have loved, you know what I would have loved mm-hmm. is after his on-court celebration, He'd have said something to the turn to the tune of, "All right, now let's go get this win." Yeah, because at the end of the day, the points are great. That's an individual record, but the team records are what people 
remember those are the the championships the teammates that you you bring along and the teammates that you share those moments with we get to talk we talked to Max Stark yesterday we talked to Tone yesterday uh, to, on Monday those are my guys because we won a championship together not because Santonio was the MVP of the Super Bowl that we lost like those are the things that bring people and people remember and I just feel like if Kobe were in that moment, him losing that game, he would not have wanted to hear about who's the greatest player of all time. Now, I don't know, not me. We lost last mm-hmm. night. That, like that, that pops into my head. So that's just my preference. To each its own. Congratulations mm-hmm. to him. And but, one of one of the longest standing records in all of sports. Thirty nine years is how yeah. long Kareem had held that record. So kudos to Kareem on his fabulous career and LeBron breaking a record, and now in our lifetime, probably will not be broken. All right, we're off and running. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line. That is 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO! It is February 8th. This is our last edition of Ask Uncle Randy before Valentine's Day 2023. If you would like to participate in Ask Uncle Randy, if you have a question for us, well, feel free to send it on the text line right now, and we'll have some great answers for you here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 314-399-9646. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Valentine's Day. It's a day of love. It's a day of caring. It's a day of flowers and candy. And if you have a question about Valentine's Day or as we head into the warmer months and you're perhaps headed towards some young love this spring, send us a text on the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. That's 314-399-YOHO! We'd love to hear from you. I've been around, you know. All right. So uh, here's Uncle Randy. And uh, Cousin Carrie, and we're here to answer any question you have. It could be sports. It could be non-sports. But whatever you got, we got an answer for you here on 101 ESPN. Matthew, what are the legions talking about this morning? Well, Randy, some of them waited, despite the fact that you told Mm -hmm. them not to. Uncle Randy, I'm on a very tight budget this year, and I need suggestions for my wife of seven years. Okay, well, the tight budget is to get to the Schnooks Florist on the evening of the 13th. Pick up a, yeah, you got some time. Uh, Pick up a bouquet of roses, a dozen roses. Get her a balloon. This is Happy Valentine's Day. Get her perhaps some chocolates if she likes chocolate. And just play it straight. Play the chalk. If you're on a tight budget and it's too late for you, then just go that way. Everything that you need for your Valentine's Day love is available for you at Schnooks. And if you have uh, a few extra shillings, to uh, spread around. It doesn't sound like you do, that you're on a tight budget, but maybe just uh, an inexpensive piece of jewelry. I'd give a shout out to a, a, a local company. Walter Noel Flores mm-hmm. does a outstanding job as well. You, you can get some flowers for not a, a hefty price. They take care of you and they make sure you, uh, you know, they have some, they have a mm-hmm. lot of 
options for you to choose from that are not expensive, that are inexpensive, but look very nice. I'm sure your bride will appreciate those. All righty then. Uncle Randy going to be 20 minutes away from Jupiter in three weeks. Any tips or tricks to go into a spring training game? Okay, there are a few tips or tricks. Number one, it's always good to get there early because the players are extraordinarily relaxed. And if you just go down to the edge by the field and you yell for many of the players, some of the players are obviously not going to be there. Many of the players are Mm -hmm. not going to be there because of the World Baseball Classic. But you're going to have a friendly group. If you, for example, say, uh, hey, Jordan Walker from St. Louis. Jordan Walker will come over and engage you. He's just a fantastic young man. Mm -hmm. So you'll have the opportunity to meet some of the players. If you're around early in the morning and the young players have shown up, you are allowed to walk over to the backfields and watch some of the young players play, some of the Cardinals' prospects play. Mm -hmm. So take advantage of that. It's a massive facility. And then one more thing. If you're going to be uh, 20 minutes away from Jupiter, I don't know if you're going to be over in Palm Beach Gardens or wherever you're going to be, but there are fantastic restaurants around. I suggest the Juno Beach Cafe on A1A, the Juno Beach Cafe for breakfast. Great breakfast. All right. Fair enough. Uncle Uncle Randy, how do I make Valentine's Day not so miserable? Okay, I wish I had a little bit of context here. Hmm. Are you you alone? Are you with a significant other? That's why I need context. (laughs) Uh, If you're by yourself, Mm -hmm. just, I think you can turn the TV off or or just watch a show or, you know, stay, stay away from restaurants or, or things of that nature for yeah. for a day or two. I, I don't think you know, go to work, go home and, and now if you have a significant other, Randy, I, I will leave that to the expert and you can help them out with that one. Well, my my belief would be that for many that have that significant other where Valentine's Day is miserable, it's like the other 364 days a year. So just you be you. Do what you do. Yeah, right. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a sad but true situation. But let's see. Hold on here. Let me just uh, move up. Uh, let's see. This is February 14th next week. You got the Blues playing at home against Florida. Okay. So you, you've got a hockey game. Uh, you've probably got some more sports going on that night. So, uh, yeah, yeah, just be you. Fair enough. Randy, my girlfriend of two years is mad because I did not ask her to be my Valentine a week and a half ago. She now sarcastically says she doesn't want any pity presents. Any ideas? Okay, number one, Valentine's Day is set up, and Matthew and I were talking about this early. (laughs) Valentine's Day is set up so that they pity you, okay? So take, take advantage of that, but you do have to treat her well, okay? So... No, it's we aren't six. We aren't in first grade. We don't ask her to be our Valentine. You entice her into being your Valentine on the 13th or the 14th. And that is through romantic gifts, through random displays of romance, and through pulling at her heartstrings, tugging at her heartstrings with your heartfelt ideas about providing her something that uh, is romantic. So you can you can stem the tide of her anger here for not unless you're in first grade for not asking her to be your Valentine's Valentine a week and a half ago. Uh, but my recommendation would be uh, just turn on the romance starting this weekend. Let's see we're on uh, Friday is the 10th that's the last Friday. 
Saturday is the 11th. So I would say turn on the romance this weekend. Uh, Uncle Randy, I hate my job. Should I tell my manager or just find something new? I, I would try to find something new first. Find something that you approve of. Something that stimulates you. I, I, I don't think it does any good at all to go into a boss without another job and tell them that you hate your job. Now, I think you can go in and say... I feel like I've gone as far as I can in this position. I love the company. Mm -hmm. Can you try to find something that would better suit what I want to do? But I don't think... So what you do is make it about you. You say, I feel that this job is something that I've really enjoyed, but I've gone as far as I can in this particular position. But I love you and I love the company. Do you think there's a place for me to grow within the company? If you aren't going to do that, or if you know right now that there isn't a place for you to grow within the company, start looking, but don't tell them you hate it. That Yeah, I like that too. Dear Uncle Randy, how fast, if you're Doug Armstrong, will you be making a trade after this break? Let's see. After this break, huh? <laughs> you wait until the break ends? Are, yeah. you, are you on the phone? I mean, 30, what time th- is 37 it? minutes, brother. In fairness, I think Panger said he is still over in Europe, and so yeah. it's, it's tough to work the phone. He said it's tough well, to work the phones. The phones do Europe. work over there, though. And you it's, just gotta, it, isn't it five hours ahead? <laughs> 8, 9, 10, 11, it's 12, 23. He's time to, to get to work. Yeah. 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 I mean, half I mean, like Swedish or Russian. Come on, there's got to be some work out there. Yeah. So I remember Mark McGuire telling the story about how he was on the phone with Walt Jockety. It's past 10 o'clock on the West Coast. Mark is driving across the Bay Bridge mm-hmm. on the phone with Jockety, who's on the phone after midnight here. Yeah. And Walt is trying to talk him into coming to St. Louis to waive his no trade clause to come to St. Louis. You're always <laughs> working the phones. Yeah. And that's, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story. I've said it before, but. Right before the Cardinals got McGuire, there had been so much smoke around that trade. And I was doing the postgame show. It was in the basement right near the clubhouse. And so I was doing the postgame show on KMOX. And I said on the air, I said, you know what? We better stop dreaming about McGuire. It's probably not going to happen because there are other teams interested that have more to give. Mm -hmm. And during the next break, thank goodness, Walt comes down, just kind of waves me out during the commercial. He said, I wouldn't give up on McGuire quite yet. <laughs> yeah. so, so I kind of softened my stance by the end of the show a little bit, and then two days later, he's a cardinal. There you go. What was the best? You're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna write a book one day, right? You you yeah. should. Yeah. You, you have should. To. Oh, Walt, Walt. So I'm walking out one night from spring training down in Jupiter, and I finish my show nine o'clock west uh, east coast time, eight o'clock here, and I'm walking out. I got my case and. Walt's walking into the facility and he says, where are you going? And I said, I'm done. I'm going to go out and grab something to eat. He said, just stick around for a few minutes. Hmm. So I go back into the media room and like seven or eight minutes later, Brian Bartow, the Cardinals PR man, walks in and says, hey, just want you to know we just traded for Jim Edmonds. Wow. So I get back on the machine and say, well, here's the story. <laughs> it was great. And if, just, if Walt if, if Walt just lets me walk out, I, I don't, don't have the story, the story right. So essentially, uh, find somebody else in media who was who was handed a scoop by by Whitey, by Walt Jockety and Super Bowl party tickets by Pete Rozelle. Find somebody else who has that combination, Randy. Write the pretty, book. Pretty lucky. The most right. interesting man in the world. Right. You could be. You could <laughs> really the commercials. You could be 
that man, that gentleman having the beverage sitting Super there. Super Bowl commission, NFL commissioners invite him to their hey, party. Hey, Pete, you got an extra ticket for this party? He was the best ever. Uh, Randy, this is actually perfect considering what we're talking about and the, the mood in the studio right now. Uncle Randy, I'm exhausted lately. What's the secret to the pep in your step? Mm. Okay, this is great. Uh, number one, I let people that I'm close to energize me. Uh, and I have a small circle of people that energize me on a daily basis. People that, that I love, that I know love, love me back. But one thing that I did, CD, when I started doing this show, and other people have subsequently uh, validated my thought, is when I'm in the shower in the morning, I tell myself, I'm going to have a great day. And mm. I smile. I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smile and I'm going to have a great day. And I think preparing yourself mentally, just like a, yeah. a, a game or just yep. like a broadcast, if you prepare yourself to be positive in the morning, if that's the way you wake up, I think you're going to be that way. I do that on my drive-in. I'm, I, I tell myself how blessed and fortunate I am to be able to be up and be moving and, and doing all of the things that I'm doing right now. And I, I agree. It's the, the mentality, the mindset of I'm going to have a great day. Nah, you have a great day. Yeah. And if something bad happens, you don't think of it. Oh, You just say, oh, well, it's one bad thing. Yeah. You're still going to have a great day. Just move on to and, the next. And it goes right? on to the next. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, – and every morning when we walk in, everybody is smiling. Matthew is happy. Carrie is happy. And so we, I think, feed off of each other's positivity too. So we yeah. definitely do. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'd be it'd be hard. Yeah, it'd be if it it'd was different if, 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 I, like if a, one of us came in and was hard to talk to, it would be like, oh, well, what the hell is wrong with this guy today? <laughs> Gary. I've been there. <laughs> Randy, this, I, I want to get this one in here because you you obviously raised kids, but you had to do it in a slightly different generation yes. than what parents do today. So, hi, Uncle Randy. My daughter's birthday is tomorrow, and she's turning 12. She wants to get Snapchat. What's your judgment on Snapchat for preteens? And Gary, you're a little bit more recent uh, yeah, on having to Carrie, deal with the social media probably, side. I'd love to hear your opinion on this as well. Because I am not a huge fan, but but I'm I think 12 is just too young. I, I'm not a fan of social media at 12. Yeah. There's so much social media bullying bullying that goes on, and so many. I, I I just think that at that age, there are more bad things that can happen than good. And I know that your daughter wants it and she's going to tell you, but everybody else yeah. has it. Yeah. But I think that she'll be a better and a more socially aware 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year old if she doesn't live her life with the phone at the age of 12. The thing about the social media is, A, as you said, the bullying. But it's also, B, they are so young that sometimes you may send a message or send something out that... A 12-year-old saying it doesn't sound like a, a, a terrible thing, but when you're a 23-year-old and those tweets or those messages are still mm -hmm. available, uh, yeah, it, it could be it could be looked at a little bit differently. So I think the, the concern is always if you are going to allow your child to have social media, one, they need to follow you. They, they, you need to, and two, you need to always be checking and seeing what they're posting snapchat is a little bit difficult because the messages disappear mm -hmm. and so therein lies another problem of you know what exactly is being said and who and, is and who being is communicated being, there you with. go yep. because that to me is the most dangerous thing is when you're whether it's snapchat or 
Facebook or Instagram, when we're on social media, we're putting ourselves out there. And yep. you don't want to have a 12-year-old putting themselves out there. No. Self out there. I, I don't. So I, I would, and I know that she's going to get mad at you, but you have to set her down and say, look, here's why I don't want you to do this. You're going to wind up with Snapchat. I just don't want it to be at the age of 12. And you have to have both parents in sync in terms of taking the approach that you take. Hey, we we had uh, we we've seen some of the things that are said and done with social media, and like Carrie said, you, you put it out there. And when you're 17, 18, when you're applying for colleges these days, colleges are going through all of your social yep. media to see what you have said. Previously, So exactly yeah. like you yeah. said, even at the age of 12, social media is a big part of what A, colleges, and B, prospective employers are looking yes, at. Indeed. That's Carrie. I'm Randy. Thanks very much, and happy Valentine's weekend. If you've got a hotel room for Friday or Saturday night, congratulations to you. That's uh, uh, good for you. That's, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. Because <laughs> <laughs> they if, listen to you, Randy. If, if that got the stamp of approval... Uh, <laughs> Good for you. Uh, coming up, we're going to take a look at the bracket for the greatest sports family of all time. We're through the first round, and uh, we've got round two for you coming up on Twitter and here on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. If your homework means a new deck, turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber St. Peter's is your go-to place for a huge selection of quality bedding plants, perennials, and hanging beds. Baskets. They also carry topsoil and potting mix for your gardening needs. Come visit all Hackman Lumber Showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. competition in the first round of the greatest sports families of all time bracket and you'll be able to vote again today as we move on yesterday in the potpourri bracket the williams sisters had 80.9 percent of the vote and they eliminated michael and leon and Corey spinks who had 19.1 percent we also had and i guess this was an upset but it was a, a crushing upset dale earnhardt senior and junior and ralph earnhardt we had the the earnhardt family 
surprisingly, <laughs> knocking out Reggie and Cheryl Miller. Reggie and Cheryl were the four seed, the Earnhardts were the five seed, and the Earnhardts got 71.7% of the vote to 28.3% of the vote. So the Earnhardts move on. CD in the other parts of that bracket, Layla and Muhammad Ali eliminating the basketball berries, 822 to 17.8%. And Steph and Seth and Del Curry just hammered Clay and Michael and Trace Thompson 93 to 7. 93 to 7. So essentially, Steph beat Clay 93 to 7. All due respect to Trace, who is Nolan Arnato's best friend. So you've got the Currys moving on, you've got the Ali's moving on, the Earnhardts, and the Williams. The people that uh, the 72% never saw. Reggie Miller scored nine points in eight seconds. That that, that has to be <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that has listen, to be listen, what, listen. what took place there. My generation uh, is full of idiots. <laughs> the majority of us have seen Madison Square Garden in those moments against the Knicks. I don't know if they saw that, and they they definitely don't know that Cheryl Miller scored 100 points in a high school basketball. 105. Game. Yeah. All right, so we're moving on now, and this is where it's going to get interesting. And all you need to do is hop on the Twitter machine, and you can vote there. Matthew Rocchio is going to set up the poll. The the poll is already up, as a matter of fact. And uh, I will retweet it. Kerry will retweet it. And today, here's what we've got for you. We've got the Bonds family against the Molina family. What do you think of that one? That will be a battle. I I think it'll be a battle here in St. Louis. I guess if Gotti and Benji and Jose Molina trample the Bonds, I will not be surprised. Eh, trample, it should be close. I mean, it should be. Barry is arguably the greatest player to ever play the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, but again, some people have their opinions. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. You've got uh, <laughs> the DiMaggio's, and the DiMaggio's are taking on the Griffies. How do you think that one? We don't want to sway any boats. No, no, but, but I just, I, I the, think the Griffies. One of the things that we need to do is maybe appreciate the. Um, unbelievable skill of Joe DiMaggio, plus Dom and Vince, his brothers, were both really good players. Mm-hmm. Here's a statistic for you, Kerry, and the, obviously different time, right? In his career, Joe DiMaggio, in 13 years, had 361 home runs. He had 369 strikeouts. Wow. 361 home runs, 369 strikeouts. He walked 790 times. He had a 977 OPS. He was an unbelievable player, a three-time MVP, had one of the great nicknames, spent three years out of baseball, 43, 44, 45, in World War II. There's a ton to be said for the legacy of Joe DiMaggio. And then when you look at his brothers, They were both fantastic as well. Dom played primarily for the Red Sox in his career, but he had a career OPS of 802. He was a career 298 hitter. Uh, Didn't hit a ton of home runs, but he was a key part of the Red Sox. And then Vince DiMaggio also played 10 years in the majors, had a 737 OPS, hit... uh, 500 and, uh, I'm sorry, 125 home runs, drove drove in 584. Obviously, Joe is the, the big guy there. It's going to be hard to beat Barry or, or to Ken and Ken and Ken Griffey Jr., though. I, I agree. It's going to be, but we'll see. That's why yeah. we, that's, that's why, why we we're doing voting. it, right? And then, 369 strikeouts in his career. Yeah, in his, in 13 years. <laughs> 369. Strikeout, strikeout numbers don't make sense I, when you go back. It's, 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 well, it's because guys it's, put the bat to the ball. We're good then. And they didn't insane. just swing at everything and try to, Knock it over to yes. him. Every day, I think I, I log on to Twitter, and I think there's a new stat about like Tony Gwynn 
insane strikeout yeah. set follows, and yeah. it's just a completely different one every single time. In 1937, his second year of Major League Baseball, Joe DiMaggio hit a league-leading 46 home runs. He struck out 37 times. <laughs> So wonderful. We do have to look at what he was able to do. So you've uh, again, you've got the Bonds, the Molinas, the DiMaggio's, the Griffies. Uh, do we have more? Is that the only? Are we're doing, we're doing, are we doing uh, the whole side We're doing the whole left side of the bracket. So it's football, football, and baseball. So we also have the Mannings facing off against the Kelseys, who they uh, the Kelseys mm, could interesting. The Kelseys mm. will tie the Mannings for Super Bowl wins, guaranteed with three yep, yep. on Sunday. Which, which I think no. so. We, yeah. They, the Mannings right. have four. Peyton get two? No. Yeah, Denver and oh, Indy. Yeah, I, and always Peyton get, I always forget Peyton, Peyton, Peyton got I always forget Peyton got two. You're right. My, yeah. my, don't, my don't apologies. Short, my apologies. Don't short, I always don't forget Peyton short got the two. And then I think this is... Save the world. And then here's another fascinating one. The Longs versus the Watts in the other football bracket. There's only one player from that group that right now, right now, is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Although, yeah. the other yeah. one's a first ballot lock. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and his brother, his younger brother, might be as well. I, I mean, he's they're, they're both defensive player of the years. And, and You're the biggest T.J. Watt fan. T.J. should have won it twice. T.J. should have won it twice. You're the biggest yeah. T.J. Watt fan in America. I, I, I respect the hell out of T.J. He, he, he should have won, won it twice. And I know this is really out there, but... If Chris Long would have been in a better situation, he would be a much bigger star and be mm. perceived as a much better player. But the fact of the matter is he wasn't yeah. on a better team, right? Losing, losing too many games. Yeah. So uh, I hate to do it, but I just voted for the <laughs> Watts. I, wow. Chris, Chris, I, I know you're tuned in. I love you. You know that. But what do you say? What Chris he say, right? Yeah. He said it. He said it. Okay. Uh, right now, the Molina's leading the Bonzes, mm. 61 to 39. <laughs> I knew it. I mm. knew it. Yep. Going to happen. I <laughs> it's and, gonna happen. Uh, the Griffies okay. are so. We want you to go to the Twitter and let me make sure that I have everything retweeted on my page. This is this is crazy to me, Randy. Three one four texted us back at the very beginning of this the creation of this bracket about mm-hmm. the Ripken family. And he texted, in, "How in the heck is the Ripken family left out of all of this? Unbelievable!" Again, look at the families we have in it. And then go look at the other people not named Cal Jr. When you look at the Ripken family, Billy yeah. does not have a gold glove or an all-star right. in his in his bag. Their dad managed one year, one mm-hmm. full year of professional baseball, and was a triple-A ball player for 27 at-bats. You compare him to the Griffies, the DiMaggio's, when you look at Vic and Dom, or Vince and Dom, excuse me, and then everybody else we have on the list, the Molinas, the, the Alus, the Alomars, every yep. one of those is multiple two to three players with at least one Hall of Famer, Cal Ripken Jr., and then other players who have all-stars. Vlad and Vlad Jr. Vlad Vlad Jr. won an MVP, right? MVPs. The Ripkins just don't have that after Cal Jr. Billy has a great baseball card. That's about it. Exactly. Roberto Alomar, a Hall of Famer. Sandy Alomar, one of the great uh, catchers of all time, the younger Sandy Alomar. And the older Sandy Alomar was actually a more accomplished on-field coach and manager than Cal Ripken Sr. was. And then you don't, uh, with all due respect, you don't put Bill Ripken ahead of Ken Griffey Sr. Uh, You've got the fielders there. Again, multiple MVPs. That's the one where somebody might have an argument where you say, okay, well, you've got Cal Sr. who's an MVP, but both fielders were 50 home run guys. Mm-hmm. Both were key parts of teams that uh, did things in the postseason. Both people were, not just one of them. So I, I get your affection for the Ripkins, but I, I would suggest that uh, 
Bill Ripken and Cal Ripken Sr. just didn't bring enough to the table. And at the end of the day, we put the bracket together. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you darn tootin'. We did. We so, did a great job, guys. Yeah, there's where the bracket is. Go to uh, Kerry Davis 38 on the Twitter machine. I am at Randy Carricker. And obviously, Rock ESPN. That's R-O-C-C ESPN. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YO-HO on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. We have the text line open, 314-399-9646 for Take It or Leave It here on 101 ESPN. It's great to have you with us, Kerry Davis, Matthew Rocchio, and Randy Carricker. And CD, yesterday... We were named the by uh, BSM, Barrett Sports Media, the number 14 mid-market radio show in America. Apparently, there's 47 of us okay. that are doing mid-market shows, okay. and we're, we, we've been together for six months, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think being number 14 is pretty good, but take it or leave it, next year at this time, the opening <laughs> drive will be a top five show in the country. I'll take it. Yeah. Take it every day of the week, Randy. Absolutely. We are, we are well on our way. You know, the two of us, the three of us, the three amigos in here, we are really doing some spectacular things in the in the media world here. So <laughs> we are. And once we get these cameras, I'm I'm pushing for these cameras because the cameras I, will be I, here. I need people to see our lovely faces and really see I, what I really want is people to see the sheer panic that Rock goes through no, when one no, of the questions that Rock me. asks during the fight and the answers that Randy gives are not on his <laughs> list of answers. It is it, yeah, because that's... because Rock <laughs> truly feels like I must have missed something if Randy doesn't even worst, have one of the options. It's the worst part, too, is like when I, I've checked it like seven times, and in my, my brain tells me, you're 100% right, you know this. And then he says something, and it does not matter how many times I check MLB.com, all you my go, confidence you, immediately goes all, to this zero. Is all I hear. Like, this is all I hear when... All of a sudden, my first thought is there's a caveat at the bottom of the page I didn't read that says this only matters from nineteen from 2017 uh, to now. Like, oh, well, I'm screwed now. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It's, it's one of the best things ever. Rock is, is he, he worries a little bit. I, we're going to get you to dial mm-hmm. back your worry just a little see, bit. Before, see, Carrie, before it's all said and done, you're, you're just going to be easy peasy. You're missing out on the reason I want I want the cameras. <laughs> Because so I, I have to show everyone for once in a while that I have better shoes than that. Oh, now we're talking because we, we will do that as well. Randy, we were watching. There's a video out of, you know, obviously the, the, the shot last night from mm-hmm. LeBron James and him becoming the all-time scoring leader. But there's a, another video of one Anthony Davis sitting on the bench when the ball was passed to him. Sitting on the bench when the <laughs> ball was shot. Sitting on the bench when everyone started going crazy. And then he finally stood up. And he kind of just moved in slow motion. Take it or leave it. The Lakers ain't making the playoffs again this year. I will absolutely 100% take that. <laughs> yeah. 
So it is. I think it's safe to say. Madness yeah. over I, there. It, it is. It's it's unreal. Can I give you one more? Kyrie Irving in his initial press conference with the Mavericks yesterday said, quote, I left them in fourth place. I did what I was supposed to do. Took care of my teammates. Was incredibly selfless in my approach to leading. And I just want to do all the right things for myself. Take it or leave it. Huh? <laughs> Take it. I was incredibly selfless, Kyrie said. I love. Listen, I always I wanted you, to make sure that he was available for his teammates. I, I told you that that there are superstar athletes that are oblivious to the world around them. It's 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 kind of it's it's very interesting to see in real time because it's like, dude, you you really don't know what the hell's going on, do you? you, you you're that focused on your career and yourself. You you don't see this. The elephant walk riding yeah. a bicycle. You just you just here. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's it's one of the most interesting things in sports. If you are around, ever able to be around one of those top tier mm-hmm. athletes and they respond like that, it's pretty amazing. It's unbelievable. Carrie, uh, I, I promise you, this is a text. This is not me saying this, but I feel like I need to uh, read this text. Take it or leave it. Michael Jordan, LeBron James is the goat of the NBA. Better all time, better all around player than Michael Jordan. Rock, I saw you on your phone texting a minute ago. Oh, not me. I, I, I'm not sure. I have to look at the number to see if that's your number that actually texted this in. I'm gonna leave that. Um, you know, you well, it's seven to ten. You always, you already know where we stand. It it's seven to ten a.m. for those me. that don't know. Michael Jeffrey Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. There is no debate, no question. What they do after this show is up to them. But from this slot, this time, this time, 7 to 10 a.m., that's that's the rule. Them's the rules. Michelle and I, over the course of the couple years that we did the show together, put together, because Spags had his four pillars here, and we had four pillars for (laughs) this morning show. The first three were all roads lead to hardware. The second one is, and this is like in this studio, deflect blame at all costs. (laughs) Okay. Number three is keep the panic bus keys. Number four has to be Michael Jeffrey Jordan is the GOAT. That would be the fourth pillar of the show. Yeah. It, it's it is what it is. I don't make the rules, Rock. I just abide by them. Number number two and four are essentially the same rule. <laughs> well, number one is to um, all, all roads lead to hardware. That's that's the. I, I would suggest <laughs> that the the texter text me when LeBron gets to six championships. It's the only argument I need, Sean. Oh my God. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, no, sorry. That, my oh my god, my oh my god was to a text I'm about to read. You guys are gonna understand why. Oh my god, that was perfectly timed though. This is a no. Sorry, sorry. My my consternation comes from this. Take it or leave it. Your Mount Rushmore of sports is Gretzky, Brady, Jordan, and Jeter. No, no, nah. no, nah. Get Jeter off that Mount so Rushmore. So you got one in each sport: hockey, football, Gretzky, and he who says Gretzky, who be, who Brady. Would you say baseball? Jordan and how it's not Jeter Barry off I just don't you gotta put him on there wow you guys are I mean people were mad when Kerry said he was the goat earlier you gotta carve out a little space for his when when Kerry said he when when Kerry said Barry was the goat we we got about five or six texts immediately who were like Kerry you you took too many head injuries and stuff like that I mean there's there's five it's it's Ruth it's Aaron it's Bonds I don't I don't put Jeter in there would you, Willie Mays? Mays, yeah. Um, and then Stan the Man. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, those are, those Ted are your Williams? Hmm? No, I, don't, I don't, can't put Ted Williams ahead of Stan the Man. Okay, so there you go. And, and, it's and one of those guys. And by the way... I only saw 
one of those guys play. If I I'm think, not mistaken, yeah. if I remember the list you just gave, yeah. there was those head injuries that the texter was talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tell me this, Mr. Super Bowl champ. Am I wrong to say Jerry Rice over Brady? No, you're not. Because he, he has records that are, you know, to me, yes. he is, he is, he is. Jerry Rice. There are there are multiple goats in football, in my opinion, because of the sport. It's just difficult for me to say one person in particular. Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. I still like Joe Montana. Maybe that's just a me thing. No, it's not. I love Joe Montana too. But here's what I wonder: I wonder if Montana and Young are Hall of Famers without Jerry Rice. There you go. Probably not. John Taylor was really good. He was really good, but, but he wasn't Jerry he Rice. Wasn't Jerry Rice. <laughs> so was Roger Craig, but he wasn't Jerry yeah, Rice. There you go. Yeah. Um, by the way, somebody, somebody texted in here and said, MJ changed the game. LeBron has not. Say what we will about LeBron James. I don't think you can argue he hasn't changed the game of basketball. He's changed the game of basketball. Absolutely. Not as much as Jordan, not as much as Curry, I mean, but he's changed it. Because, I, and here's the thing, hey. I mean, you, you can't say. Positionless basketball. The, 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 here's the thing with LeBron, though. You have to be 6'8 and 265 to do what he does, all right? You didn't have to be Michael Jordan to wear long shorts. You didn't have to be Michael Jordan to change the way that basketball is marketed. Mm-hmm. The basketball players are marketed. MJ changed the game. Steph Curry, I'm last night watching warm-ups for the slew game, and there's a little kid out on the court shooting from Steph Curry range. Yeah. Every you've got a son that yeah. plays basketball. Yeah. Every kid's out there shooting from Steph Curry range, aren't it's, they? It's He's nuts. changing the game. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, I'd argue, yeah, Jordan, LeBron, Curry, Jordan and Curry changed the game more. But LeBron, I mean, he ushered in positionless basketball, we, and that's and, where we are. Well see again, I, I I love the youthful enthusiasm. But. This era, this era of positionless <laughs> basketball, I should say. Kerry? Yes, sir. Do you remember when Kareem got hurt in the finals against the Sixers? I mean, there was a guy, uh, a young man out of Michigan State that was, you know, able. A, po- a point guard, though. Yeah, a little I mean, fella, he was right? Not the, he was like 6'9", but he was he was pretty dang on good. Yeah, I think they moved him to, to center, right? Isn't that positionless basketball? I, I would say so. But that's an that was, that anomalous. Was that? That's anomalous uh, for one yeah, situation. 80, 80, 80. LeBron, LeBron doing what he did, forcing the changes defensively, I truly believe opened up the court and gave us things like Draymond Green being a center at 6'6". Listen, it happened. I'm not saying it never happened in the NBA. It did. But it was anomalous. It was random. We have an entire last ten years well, where everything again, was gets smaller in space. I would say, I would say, and LeBron was the catalyst. I think. Mm, I would say that Kevin Garnett was probably the first catalyst of that being a six ten, six eleven wing that changed, came from high school and changed the whole mentality of you're this tall, you have to play with your back to the basket. No, the hell I don't. I can do everything, Dirk. and I think. I think that Kevin Garnett would be the one that changed it prior to LeBron yeah. coming in. And, 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 and I would say that Nowitzki did too. Yes. Yeah, and, and there's levels because obviously Curry then coming in and, and you know yep. you know puts like the you know the nitrous into the the change and and going up with the three pointers and things like that. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up here on 101 ESPN. All right, Super Bowl 57 is coming up on Sunday. We'll have it here on 101 ESPN. But how are teams either Kansas City or Philadelphia going to win this one? That's next on 101 ESPN. Back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You know, I was talking to Jason Kelsey last night, and Jason said, man, he's like, 
you know, when you're pulling around the left side with, with Jordan and with um, Landon Dickerson, he's like, dude, I, I don't, I just like, when I pull, it's like, there's just a clear lane. Like, I don't really have, I can buck it on an angle. I don't have to pull flat because they're just going to absolutely cave down, you know, whatever side when I'm coming around the angle. So it makes me look even faster. That is Super Bowl champion Max Starks joining us yesterday here in the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Kerry and Randy with you, and we're going to try to break down the the units here, Kerry. The Eagles offense and defense, the Chiefs offense and defense, and then the special teams. And when I do it this way, I don't. I, I want to know what you think. I think that this might get away from Kansas City. The, when I look at the way things, the, the, what I believe are the quality of the units right now mm-hmm. heading into the Super Bowl, I could see this thing getting away from Kansas City. Well, I, I agree. It could based on, you know, we don't know what the injury report is for their offense. They got a lot of guys banged up in the receiver core. I think the the ultimate X factor though is is Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. He, he will he will keep them in the game some way somehow, but it could if you have a couple of series, a couple of drives. You know that that series versus the uh, the Bengals, the the Chiefs were not able to score touchdowns. They were getting field goals. If you're getting field goals versus this Philadelphia Eagles team, they probably are putting points on the board on their side. So it could go it could go the wrong re- way really quickly. And here's where I'm going to start. I believe that the best unit on the field on Sunday night is going to be the Eagles' defense. They were eighth in the league. They only allowed 20.2 points a game. As Max mentioned yesterday, they are sack machines, Mm -hmm. 78 sacks, and that's combined regular season and playoffs. The offensive line for Kansas City is very good, but Mahomes is not going to have—he's definitely not going to have Nicole Hardman. He'll have Kelsey there. And you'd think that the other guys, aside from Valdez Scandling, will be compromised. Tony will be compromised, and um, Juju Smith-Schuster will be compromised, and they're already missing Edwards Alaire. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's going to be very difficult for them to consistently put together yards and drives like they ordinarily do well, against this defense. Yeah, with this defense, they're allowing 300, 301 yards uh, per game, which is second best in the league uh, during the regular season. They are a team that gets after the quarterback with their front four so they don't have to blitz very often. They're a team that has a great secondary in Bradbury and, and Slay on the back end who mm-hmm. make great plays and, and don't mind you know the man-to-man coverage and, and making sure that they're, they're glued to their guys. So if you can get pressure with your front four, not have to blitz, and have great cover corners, that is that is the recipe for a great defense. And you couple that with a receiving core of the of the opposing team that is banged up, maybe not able to get out of breaks as as well as they normally will. Maybe not, uh, um, you know, knees and hamstrings and ankles a little bit sore. McCole Hartman, who is their speed guy, is out with a pelvis injury. And I told you, Randy, every time I say pelvis injury, it hurts me to even say. Um, but yeah, they they are they are banged up on the on the Kansas City side, and you're playing against a team um, in the in the Philadelphia Eagles that that do their job defensively extremely well. Now, let's just run down this quickly. By the way, we're going to get to Jason Isringhausen in just a few minutes. I have the Eagles offense as the second best uh, unit on the field. They're a scoring machine. Jalen Hurts is extraordinarily hard to cover. They have three premier, they actually have four with Quez Watkins, but but when you have Smith, you have Brown, you have Goddard, you have uh, at least three premier pass catchers. They have a couple of running backs. I think Nick Bolton is going to have to have a monster night for Kansas City's defense to slow down 
down the Philadelphia offense and specifically Jalen Hurts. Well, they got to see if Chris Jones can get to the quarterback. He he did a mm-hmm. a really good job in that in that in that Bengals game, and he was probably the player of the game. He he was the one that made the big plays when the big plays needed to be made. If they can control him, I know the Eagles' offensive line is a little bit banged up. Dickerson, I think, has an elbow injury. We know that Lane Johnson has a a torn groin and is fighting through it and is playing his butt off. They're a little bit banged up, but if they can keep Chris Jones off of the quarterback and a healthy Jalen Hurts who, you know, missed those two games in the regular season, came back and still I think was a little bit sore, not not performing in the manner in which he had during the regular season. They didn't run him as much in the NFC Championship game. I think going into the Super Bowl, having some weeks off, having some time off, you're going to see the full complement of what Jalen Hurts is able to do, both passing and running, and I think he's going to have a big game, and I think A.J. Brown is going to have a big game as well. I'm with you. So I've got the Kansas City defense because of what you just mentioned as the number three unit on the field. They've got their offense fourth. It yeah. wouldn't be fourth if they had their players, if yeah. they had their complement of players. But it's just the way it is. One thing that could happen in this game, it's not like Kansas City has Kerry Davis returning kickoffs here. <laughs> they're like, they're, Kansas City in both punt and kickoff returns are bottom five in the league. Butker is solid. Their punting game is okay. Philadelphia's special teams are solid across the board. Yeah. They're top 10, whether it's kickoff return, punt return, kicking game, punting game, they're top 10 throughout. The Philadelphia special teams are significantly better than Kansas City's. Yeah, I mean, you're not getting much. Neither team has returned a kick or a punt uh, for a touchdown this season, but you are a little bit better in terms of yardage with the Philadelphia Eagles, which gives you better field position when you're able to flip the field. Now, Kansas City did have a huge punt return in that Bengals game, which really uh, helped them, uh, assist them to get to that, you know, obviously the penalty at the end of the game helped, but getting that field, that yardage after that punt return was a uh, was crucial for them to be able to have a chance at a drive. So you, they, they do have big play capability. If you're the Philadelphia Eagles, when you punt it, you got to go down there and cover it. Make sure you get them on the ground. Uh, but I agree, the Philadelphia Eagles are the better special teams unit as well. And so those are where we have our units stacked up. Vegas right now has Philly as a point and a half favorite for Super Bowl 57. That's Kerry. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Cardinals former closer Jason Isringhausen, Isringhausen is going to tell us what he looks for as a young pitcher advances through a system. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Super Bowl champ, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And one of our favorite people in town, one of our favorite athletes, former athletes ever, is the former Cardinal closer, Jason Isringhausen, who joins us now on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. It's always good to hear from Izzy. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. I think the last time I heard you on our station, were you in Turks and Caicos when you were on with Anthony and Rivers? (laughs) We're in Belize. Belize. There you go. How was it? Yeah, it was it was amazing. I would still like to be there, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to start with uh, with, with this. You you obviously are are headed down to Florida, but the last time I saw you down in Florida a couple of weeks ago, I asked if you were participating in the uh, in the Cardinals fantasy camp. You said, "Nope, no more playing for me. I'm I'm a manager. I'm a coach. <laughs> you're done with that playing part of it, huh?" 
<laughs> yeah, I, I hung up my spikes. I retired. I am now managing people and uh, enjoying it a lot more. I'm not near as sore. <laughs> Good for you. I, I understand that completely. Jason, we were <laughs> we were talking uh, a couple of days ago, and I, I wanted to know, when you are trying to make the transition from AA to AAA uh, to the majors, what are some of the things that you look for in the p- pitcher specifically to make that transition? What are the things that that guy needs to do to be able to move up um, when it's time? Uh, well, there's, there's multiple things, but I think the main thing is, is like, uh, we're, we're trying to get them ready to sustain. Um, uh, we try to uh, increase their innings maybe by 15 or 20% each year. So we're trying to get them ready to be able to sustain that 200 inning mark. If they're a starting pitcher, you know, in the big leagues, you know, it's, it's, it's a long season. They have to be able to sustain those, uh, 30 or so starts and, uh, if they can't prove that they can do it, then it's time for either them to become a reliever or they repeat a level to where they their body can uh, can withstand that kind of wear and tear, so to speak. Now, I was talking to Andy Bennis the other day, and he's a big guy, and he was saying that. Uh, and so, I want to you're you're a bigger guy. When you are a bigger pitcher, is it easier to to sustain those innings than if you are a a smaller guy uh, with not the same size or same frame? Well, I would think so. I mean, I don't know how it would translate maybe from football to baseball, but I would think like a larger lineman can sustain and absorb the blows, so to speak, better than a smaller guy. And uh, I think it's the same thing. You got bigger bigger muscles, bigger body. It helps absorb the wear and tear of, of the innings that you put in your body, your legs, your hips, your core, your shoulders, your arm. Uh, we look at guys, those wiry guys, uh, a lot of the guys that come, uh, like Latin America guys, a lot of those guys are really long and uh, uh, skinny, and we try to get some weight on them, try to make them eat right, get more protein in their bodies, change their diets so that uh, they can put on a little extra weight so they have a little, uh, I don't mind having a little fat on the body. It helps to, uh, it helps to absorb some of the wear and tear of, uh, of the year. Yeah, is he? Uh, you know me. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Isringhausen, former Cardinal closer on 101 ESPN. You know what I enjoy, and sometimes it happens here at the the major league level. You get to see it in working with kids, though. Is when the and I guess now with all the information that young players have, it's different. But when the light goes on in terms of figuring out command and figuring out, okay. I can put that pitch pretty much where I want it. And most of the time, I would guess when you draft a pitcher, they don't have that level of command. But how much fun is that when you work with a kid and then the the light goes on and they figure out, okay, I can do this at a really high level? Yeah, it's one of the things that we have to deal with a lot. And uh, it it really shows some of the the stubbornness in some of the kids. You know, they they come out of these major – major college programs and they're used to being able to have they have really good stuff for college levels and they get away with throwing pitches right down the middle and get people out and as they move up the ladder in our organization you can't throw the pitch down the middle and expect to get people out and uh, uh jack flaherty was a perfect example from when he was an a ball to triple a to where uh, what we have um some of the analytics charts that we have we call heat map and it shows like a fastball, uh, oh, fastball, and it shows you a map, a square of the strike zone, and it gives you colors, red, orange, and then a dark red, and it shows you how your fastball, your command. And, uh, you know, we talked to Jack, and all of his fastballs were kind of in the middle of the zone, and as we talked to him and told him, hey, we need to put these on the corners, and once the light went off on him, you know, he just blew away hitters in AA and AAA, and he was able to throw his fastball down the way and, and follow that with the slider down the way. And then he goes out and rattles off, you know, a .9 ERA in the big leagues. And, um, 
the, that, that that type of thing is like we're going to have to have with the, with the McGreevies and the Graceffos. Those guys are college guys that, that get away with the ball in the middle of the plate, but as they move up in the organization and get to the big leagues, I don't care how hard you throw or how much movement you got, a ball in the middle of the plate is going to get hit a long way. One thing that I heard about Maddox when he was pitching, if you're a really good pitcher, you can cut the plate into three different sections. But Maddox, it wasn't just the four quadrants of the plate where he could put it where he wanted, but then it was two inches inside, two inches outside. If you can do that, if you can have like six areas through for the width of the plate, that that that's going to be greatness, right? Well, that that was the thing with him is like he would throw a fastball off the plate, and he as he was so good with his control, his catcher would keep moving out, out, out off the plate, and he would go as far as the umpire would call it. And then once he realized that the umpire wouldn't call it anymore, he would stay right there. And it could be four inches off the plate. We all saw some of the games that he pitched and <laughs> getting those calls four or five inches out the plate because he could hit it every single time. And, you know, it all depends on the umpire that day. Hey, Jason, what are your thoughts on the pitch timer? You or a veteran played a long time. Uh, how would that affect you pitching and, and also the, the amount of times you could throw over the first base? Um, well, I, I think that pitching, that the timer thing is going to mess with a lot of guys in the big leagues. Um we get some guys that come down on rehab and they try to do it. Like when they come down on a rehab assignment, like the umpires don't want to force it against them, but they've actually tried to do it and it's hard for them to do it because I, I would have had a little bit of a problem because I always stepped off the mound and rubbed up the baseball and things like that. And you really have to be on the mound. You have to be ready to go. And the hitter has to be ready to go. In the minor leagues, if, if that clock gets down to so many seconds and the hitter is not le- looking at the pitcher, they call a strike. So he can be looking, he can be in the box looking down at the plate. If he's not looking at the pitcher, they call they call a strike on him. So it's it's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of gray area. Uh, the throwovers, it's going to be a cat and mouse game because these guys don't know how to steal bases. Once they get their leads, they're just going to get bigger and bigger leads to make the pitcher throw over. Then after so many times. They can't throw over anymore, and if they do throw over and they don't pick him off, he gets second base automatically. There's going to be a lot of cat and mouse games with some of these guys that really know what they're doing on the base pass. Hey, Izzy, are there pitchers that will benefit, though, from a pitch timer? Because they, they spend so much time. That it seems to me there's guys that overthink it. So is there a chance that at the other end of the spectrum the pitch timer can benefit some pitchers? I think so. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, it's that anal- uh, paralysis by analysis type of uh, uh, mental thought. And, uh, you know, you really have to be ready. You have to get the ball back. You have to get on the mound. You have to get your signing. You have to get into your motion and get set before this clock keeps ticking and ticking and ticking. And, yeah, you get a lot of guys that walk around the mound. They got to check this. They got to check that. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think some people will benefit. But I also think there's going to be some guys that are going to have a real problem with it. I'm betting that in the length of your major league career with the multiple teams that you played for, and, and you were with the Mets, A's, Cardinals, uh, Mets again, Angels, uh, at some point somebody handed you a work fast and throw strikes t-shirt, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, because that's what, if you talk to any middle infielder, those guys that take forever, those guys are miserable back behind you, your defense. You always want to you always want to keep your defense on their toes uh, one way or the other, either letting, you know, line drives get hit at them or putting the ball in play, whatever you got to do. But, oh, they'd love, you know, you, you hear a Greg Max won a complete game, I think, with 78 pitches one time. Um you don't see that anymore. That's usually four innings today. So, you know, uh, those type of guys, those hitters, the defense are on their toes. They love to play defense behind those guys. So, yeah, it's going to it's gonna help the defense a lot. Hey, we talked about the pitching uh, 
prospects and how they get graded to move up. What about hitters? What are you looking for from a hitter for him to move up from double A AA to AAA or to the majors? I think it's just the, the mental side of it. Uh, if, if you can hit 300 in A ball, you probably can hit close to 300 in double A. You know, that's, and we always say, this kid never hit 300 in A ball. How's he going to do it in triple A? So mm-hmm. you kind of look at it that way. But in that same sense, you like hitting's hard. I mean, three out of 10 is Hall of Fame. And I think it's watching these kids, how they deal with failure. And uh, that, that can go through six months of a full season of dealing with failure, you know, seven out of 10 times. He kind of, it's, it's, I think it's more on the mental side than the physical part with the hitter. Is he one last thing baseball-wise? For those of us that don't watch a ton of minor league baseball, what's the difference in 2023 between AA and AAA? Uh, I, I think it's – well, it used to be AA was like the prospect league, and now it's uh, with the COVID and we've cut out some younger teams, the short-season teams. I think there's a lot more prospects in uh, in AAA, but I think it's just the, like for a pitcher, it's the command. Uh, a lot less throwers. You know, you get a lot of guys with have better command in the upper levels. And with hitters, you just they they're patient. They wait for their one pitch, and when they get it, they don't miss it. Uh, in the younger younger levels, you see a lot of throwers, so to speak, in pitchers that can hit the backstop. They can hit the ball whenever they want, and then. Uh, <laughs> Then you get the hitters who swing at you know breaking balls that hit in the grass that they're swinging at. They're they're guessers and they swing at everything. Now, Jason, uh, Randy, and I, and I, I want to see if you're the same way. We're kind of old school in our thoughts in, in terms of pitching, and and I personally don't like for my pitcher to pitch four innings and then we go into the bullpen and and now we got four or five guys coming up. What are your thoughts on on starting pitchers going deeper into games? You talked about Maddox doing it on 78 pitches. We don't see you know these pitchers going deep into games anymore what are your thoughts about that uh i i just think that's the way they're trained today um we we try to train them to be able to throw 100 pitches a game but uh i i I fight with our younger guys all the time i make bets with them and to see how many uh average pitches they can throw in any i'd like to see Mm -hmm. them throw 15 15 or less in any to get them through six or seven innings i just you know the kids are they they live by the strikeout now so they're trying to strike somebody out from pitch one rather than you know you can't strike them out without getting strike one. Um, it's it's mental side of it, I think, more than anything. Uh, just trying to get these kids to throw strikes and realize that their stuff's good enough in the strike zone to get people out. Who do you like Sunday in the Super Bowl? Oh, man. Uh, I would like to see Mahomes win another one, but I think Pittsburgh's really good. Or Pittsburgh, I think Philly's really good, though. Yeah, they're they're tough. Pittsburgh is good too, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so Izzy, when I texted you a couple of nights ago, uh, you said, "Hey, you're you're struggling. You better pick it up in the fight." I don't know if you were listening yeah. yesterday, brother. <laughs> I did. I didn't. I didn't listen to it yesterday. I figured I'd hear about it this morning, though. So I, I, you texted me. You said, "Hey, you you better pick step your game up a bit. You got beat two days in a row." I said, "I know. I'll get that guy tomorrow. Just a blip. <laughs> you took him down. Huh? I got him." I got him. We changed the name. We changed the name from the fight to the bludgeon because he was beating the hell out of people so badly. Mike actually well, did a good job for the last couple of days. That's very good. It's not. It's not very likely that uh, he gets beat two days in a row. So nah. I'm, I'm glad you're back on your game. Thanks, Izzy. Appreciate it. I, 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 as I texted you, I, I had to have that Jason Isringhausen short memory, and I did. Short term memory. You have betcha. A drink, short term memory. <laughs> yep. Hey, always good to talk to you, man. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll see you soon.
All right, guys. Have a great morning. You too, Izzy. Uh, that's one of our all-time favorites, Jason Isringhausen, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I have such a, such a great appreciation for him. Coming home, dealing with the pressure of pitching at home. And the pressure was strong because that team was expected to win. And you're the closer. you got to mm-hmm. be perfect. And he was really, really good for a really, really long time for the Cardinals. Speaking of the fight, it's coming your way next. Do we have a fighter? Yes, we, yes, we do. We do. We've got a fighter next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. And we have a new fighter today. Martin is joining us. Martin, how are you doing today? Boys, I'm good. I've been training for this my whole life. Okay, you sound excited. So that means I, I'm hoping that you are prepared. Uh, Randy took a t- couple of losses uh, earlier this week, one last week. So I think he's primed for, for the picking. You you might be able to to get another one out of him. Listen, I'm, I'm ready to pick his bones. I'm ready to go after him. Let's make this happen. <laughs> All right, here we go. Barry Bonds won three out of the four NL MVP awards from 90 to 93. Who won the other one? Terry Pendleton, Lenny Dykstra, or Bobby Bonilla? I think that's uh, Terry Pendleton. Who is the leading scorer in NBA history for one single franchise? Is it Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or Karl Malone? Uh, that's gotta be, uh, Devin Kobe. Other than Devin Booker, who is the only active player to score 70 in an NBA game? Is it Luka Doncic, Klay Thompson, or Donovan Mitchell? Oh, shoot. Donovan got a big one this year. I'm a jazz fan, so that hurts. Uh, but I, I don't think he got 70. Let's go, uh, let's go Klay Thompson. All right, and on a per-game basis, who is the highest scorer in NBA history? Is that Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, or Michael Jordan? Uh, it's probably one of those three, I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if I was good, putting the I like pieces that. together, uh, I'm going to say... Can we go this real quick again? Is it Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, yeah. or Michael Jordan? I mean, Wilt scored 100 in the game, right? That's got to up your average at least a couple. Let's go Wilt still. All right, we're going to double-check our answers, and we will bring in Randy Carricker. Martin, how you feeling? I mean, I'm sitting here drinking hot chocolate, looking out. <laughs> I mean, we're good here, man, guys. We're good. We're you feeling good? We're playing house money today. It's house money. I, I, you listen, that is that is not a bad way to look at it. Randy came in. Looks like he has a Mountain Dew. Is that a Mountain Dew or a Diet Mountain Dew? Is that, I, I, I have the, uh, the kind of... Non-sharp, dull brain going. You, you, you're getting fired up. Yeah, Mountain yeah. Dew. I mean, listen, I'm all jacked up off of Mountain Dew. Yeah, that, that, that'll have you that, fired that up. That's how it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> Randy we're, uh, we're throwing chips, uh, war medals off the bridge here. Come on, <laughs> <now>. <laughs> Randy, say hello to Martin. Martin, how you doing, man? Good to have you with us. Thanks uh, for listening. Thanks for playing. I appreciate you, Randy. Thank you. All right, so are you ready? Ready. All right, here we go. Barry Bonds won three out of four NL MVP awards from 90 to 93. Who won the other one? Terry Pendleton, 91, right? Braves. Who is the leading scorer in NBA history for just one franchise? 
LeBron. I'm going to go with the mailman, Carl Malone. I don't think he scored that many with the Lakers. So I'm going to go with... So the guy who has the most points with one team, right? Yes. Or can he only have played for one team? No, no, no. It's the, whoever has the most points for one single franchise. They could play for okay. 10 franchises. Who has the most points in NBA, in NBA history for one team? So my answer makes sense. Carl Malone, I think. So I'll, I'll go with the mailman. All right. Other he's than, the third leading scorer. I think he's got the third most points, right? And league history. I, I don't know the answer to that, sir. I can't I can't okay. Get, okay. We, we get in trouble for okay. assisting yeah, Randy Carriker like yeah. he <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all with that. I'm, I'm all on board with that. Other okay. than Devin Booker, who is the only active player to score seventy in an NBA game? I think uh the, like just a couple months ago Donovan Mitchell did. I think he scored seventy one, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm gonna go with him. And Randy on a per game basis who is the highest scorer in NBA history? Most points per game in NBA history. I I think it's Wilt. A lot. Um, I'm going to go... I think Michael was at 33.2. Maybe it is Michael. There's a coin flip here. Um, I wish I could see this. You know what? Per game basis. I guess I'll go with Wilt. All right. We have a winner in today's fight. Did Randy Carricker start another winning streak and keep it rolling? Or is there something in the water this week for Randy Carricker in the fight? Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by Mobile On The Run. Join the On The Run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. Just win, baby. I'm sorry, Martin. Randy gets you with a three to one win in the fight today. It's down to happen. <laughs> Indeed, it was. And let's go through those answers. Barry Bonds won three out of four NL MVP awards from 1993. Terry Pendleton in 1991, the only other one to win. Barry Bonds was the runner up. The leading scorer in NBA history for a single franchise is, in fact, Carl Malone. He scored 36,374 points. Number two is Kobe Bryant, who scored 33,004 in a Los Angeles Lakers jersey. Dirk with the Mavericks is number three, by the way. Other than Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, I'm sorry, Jazz fan, Martin is the only other active player with a 70-point game. He did do it with the Cleveland Cavaliers after you guys traded him away this season. And on a per-game basis, Michael Jeffrey Jordan is the leading scorer in NBA history. Basketball Reference has it at 30.12 to Will Chamberlain's 30.07. Just barely beating out Will the Stilt. So a 3-1 win for Randy Carricker in the fight. Thank you so much for joining the fight today, Martin. Thank you so much for joining the show as well. Fellas, it was a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, Martin. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Carrie, Randy, and Matthew. And coming up, we're going to talk to the president and CEO of the American Gaming Association during the Super Bowl week. Bill Miller joins us on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.
With Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And last year, the American Gaming Association estimated that Americans wagered more than $7.5 billion on the Super Bowl. This year, they project betting interest to grow, with Super Bowl 57 taking place in legal sports betting states for the first time. Now in 36 states and Washington, D.C., legal sports betting continues to attract new fans while taking significant shares from the illegal gambling market. Bill Miller is the president and CEO of the American Gaming Association. He, he joins us this morning here on 101 ESPN. Bill, thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm uh, in Phoenix today, and uh, but it's great to be with both of you guys today. Okay, well, let's start with this. You expect betting to grow this year over $7.5 billion last year. What's your expectation? Um, well, we certainly think that uh, as we've continued to see states uh, adopt legal sports betting options that uh, uh, that, that people are taking taking us up on the opportunity, and that I, I think you, we all know that people have been betting on sports as long as there've been sports to bet on. Primarily, up until about five years ago, they really only had one legal option, and that was Nevada. And so, with these states and with the the legal op- opportunities, um, people are excited about that, and. Honestly, it's a it's great to be here in Arizona, which is the first Super Bowl that will be held in a state with legal sports betting, and so uh, it's an amazing amazing time for the industry, and it shows the popularity of sports betting and kind of uh, the game gaming industry writ large. Hey, Bill, what does it mean to have a game in a state that just legalized betting for the first time? It's incredible, uh, and I think that it shows. Uh, what an evolution we've had since, you know, it was, a, it was the Supreme Court decision back in May of 2018 that said there, there's no reason that Nevada should have a monopoly on the only place where you can legally bet on sports. And many of the leagues uh, kind of had this view that this is going to hurt the integrity of the game. or uh, in, in, and, and so uh, we, we've seen this incredible evolution to this place where we're now you know, embraced as partners with leagues like the NFL and teams and arenas and broadcasters. You know, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, you couldn't really, as a broadcaster, couldn't even talk about the lines on a game. Mm-hmm. Now there's shows dedicated to lines on games. Bill Miller, the president and CEO of the American Gaming Association with us on 101 ESPN. And Bill, we're one of the 14 states in Missouri that has not approved legalized sports gambling. What are we missing out on in Missouri? Well, um, just in I, terms I mean, of what, track, yeah, what, what, what gambling can do to help the, the economy of a state? Well, I think, number one, it protects consumers uh, right now. Uh, Missourians are like most other people around the country, you know, very uh, excited sports fans. You've got professional franchises. You've got, you know, people that are very passionate about sports and are betting on sports. They're just betting on with illegal offshore websites or their, their corner bookie or something even maybe more nefarious than that. And so it is really important for the consumer to give some levels of protection. And then obviously there's an element to tax revenue that um, is being, that's, that people are missing out on. We, 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 we have a, a partnership with the uh, geo comply, which looks at uh, 
transactions and in, and ensuring that uh, when you that when you make it like when you attempt to make a bet that you are within the, the legal jurisdiction. And what we saw is so far there have been a hundred thousand plus uh, attempted transactions blocked in Missouri just in the first week of Kansas's launching of sports betting. And so you know that's a hundred thousand people that uh, are you know. Uh, in the show me state that wanted to bet on sports and were blocked from doing that um, because, uh, you know, uh, we're a little stuck in Jefferson City. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bill, how many Americans do you forecast uh, to be wagering on the Super Bowl this on the big game this year? And, and how much do you think they'll be betting? Um, you know, how much they bet, it's it's, it's kind of a, you know, it, it, we're, 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 we're kind of taking a guess there, but uh you know, it's 50. Our, our estimation is that 50 million American adults, uh, which is about 61 percent increase year over year from last year, are going to bet 16 billion dollars. And that's up about 110 percent from just last year. And look, we've we've added four state four states le- legally. But, you know, it, it, a lot of this is continued uh, better understanding that there are legal options for people and and the exciting uh you know the exciting options that that come with uh you know adding a little um action into the into the into the games hey bill with legalized sports gambling i'm curious has sports gambling just added to the amount of revenue that is generated by the industry or is sports gambling taking away from people that would go out and play slots or play poker at the casino? Is there more money now in the pot for the gambling industry? Uh, interesting question and always has been somewhat of a concern. Uh, sports betting is a low margin business. Um, you know, the slots and table games. Uh, tend to be, you know, much stronger um, uh, pr- profits for the for the operators. <clears throat> but it also, when you can put a sports book on the, your property and bring in people that may not have wanted to play slots or table games, or visit your restaurant or your spa or your pool, th- it is what we have seen as it sports betting has been additive, and and that was kind of an open question because. Quite frankly, there was only one place that you could use that you could use as a business example, and that was Nevada. And really, there's nothing like Las Vegas. And so, when you added sports betting into local, regional properties, what did it look like? And was it going to be something that took away? Uh, I think that the clear evidence has shown that it has been additive to um, the casino industry. And the brick and mortar guys believe that notwithstanding the fact that, again, it's a low margin business mm-hmm. because you're really only taking a piece of the, the win or the loss. Not, you know, it's, it's not the same, uh, as I said, the table, table games and, uh, and uh, slot machines. Hey, Bill, we talked about Missouri being one of those states that is not allowing it. But what is the future for, for legal wagering in the United States? Is, are, are some of those states that are you know, not allowing it at this point going to eventually or in the future allow it to happen? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think I, I, I doubt we will ever get to all 50 states with legal sports betting there. And the gaming industry is uh, is really regulated, legislated, and controlled by state governments. And so there's just some places in the country 
that may never want to legalize, you know, gaming and gambling and, and, you know, and that's the prerogative of the state. But like I've been in, I've been in government, lobbying government for most of my life. And, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything move as quickly in five years as sports betting. And I think that's a testament to the, to the reality that state legislators knew that politicians knew that people were betting on sports and why shouldn't we give them a legal option that creates some degree of tax revenue, but most importantly, protects the consumers. And so, you know, we're at, you know, 37 states legal, 34, as we talked about, that are operational. Um, The states that are left over, they've all got some kind of unique quirks to them. Uh, Every state legislature only meets for, you know, three months. Some state legislature, some state legislatures like Texas meet only every other year. Some require ballot referendums like California and places like Florida. And so, you know, getting some of these big states that uh, haven't yet legalized to legal uh, legalize, it requires a lot of stakeholder engagement and, you know, it, it's a little bit more of a grind than what we've gotten so far. Hey, Bill, one last thing, and I'm making an assumption yeah. here because I observe sports and, and I observe your industry peripherally, but but I do. I have to believe that this slice of time from February 1st, Super Bowl weeks, through March 15th, the first couple of rounds of March Madness, that's the sweet spot for sports gambling, right? It really is. Uh, you know, March Madness and the Super Bowl uh, are, are, you know, really the, the largest uh, opportunity and the largest uh, time of fan engagement in and around uh, you know, sports betting. And I think that it will continue to be that way for the future. Biggest message from the American Gaming Association to people who are predisposed to gambling on the game this weekend. What do you want people to know? Well, I think most importantly um, that sports betting is fun. It's supposed to be, uh, you know, a fun uh, alternative for adults, uh, and it should be. Uh, it should be looked at as a social uh, opportunity, uh, and you should set a budget when you're when you're when you're going to bet on 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 the big game. And so, all of you know, it's bet responsibly, have a budget, stick to your budget, um, have fun with your friends. Um, and, and really just sports betting, legal sports betting gives you another opportunity to enjoy the game in a way that, uh, uh, we think, uh, really, uh, deepens the fan engagement. And one of the, and it's the thing that we've seen in this evolution among our friends and partners at the NFL and other sports that they see that value too. Bill, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Have fun down there in Arizona and hopefully we'll talk again in the future. All right, look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Bill. Bill Miller. He's the president and CEO of the American Gaming Association. And, Carrie, I know we live in a state in Missouri. And, by the way, gambling is legal in Illinois and, as Bill mm-hmm. mentioned, in Kansas now. We live in a state where we have not approved it yet. Yep. I don't think that's particularly very forward thinking because I think we're missing out on a tremendous amount of revenue. But the fact of the matter is, like Bill said, it's not. it's already here. It's just not legalized. People are gambling all the time, right? You're saying Missouri is not a forward-thinking state, right? Yeah. I, well, in terms of sports gambling. In terms of a few other things as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but That's it's, my opinion. I, I know there's people that don't like the idea of legalized sports gambling. 
But that horse is out of the barn. Yes. It's it, it's not going anywhere, so you might as well get on board and take advantage of what it can provide for you. If you are, as you said, Illinois is legal, Kansas is legal, you can have your, you can drive across the border and, and place your bet and go about your day and come back home, and there are people that don't mind doing that. And it, it's, you know, bet responsibly. You know, don't, don't lose something that you can't afford to lose, but... As Bill said, it is entertainment. It's fun. It's something that, you know, it, it keeps people engaged. I, I think sports betting and e- fantasy football has done wonders for the NFL that, that it normally – people don't pay as much attention if they're not involved in fantasy football, which is gambling. So, you know, people are, are always engaged in it, and, and it's fun to, to be a part of. Just do it responsibly. And by, by the way, you take the shot at Mizzou's NIL program. They surely are that forward-thinking, but still. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know. <laughs> They're trying? They, they are. Uh, go ahead. Do your thing. Gary <laughs> Davis, Randy Carricker, opening drive, 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals have three guys that are going to be great for the USA in the World Baseball Classic, and we're going to hear from those guys next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the Opening Drive. It's time for today's Big Thing. The Cardinals will head to spring training. They'll get things started next Tuesday down in Jupiter. And then many players are going to take off for the World Baseball Classic. The American players are going to have to be in Arizona on March 7th to start preparations for the WBC. And the Cardinals have multiple guys that are going to be on the USA team, including... Miles Michaelis, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Adam Wainwright. We remember hearing the story from Adam about missing out on his ability to represent the USA in the 2004 Olympics. He was one of the last cuts and it dated him. He's also a guy, though, Kerry, that paints his face for the Soccer World Cup. (laughs) He's extraordinarily patriotic. And he was asked yesterday in a Zoom call with reporters why why it's important for him to represent the USA. I love our country. I I love love what... Love our history and uh, what we stand for, and I, I love our chances to win. I've seen our our roster, and yeah. it's just incredible. And I can't wait to represent. It. But here, also, here's another story. In 2003, yeah, 2003, I was on the pre qualifier where the team went down to uh, Panama to try to qualify for the Olympics, and I did not make the team. They sent me home. I was the only one who got sent home mm. for that. Oh, and that just. That just left a bad taste in my mouth. And, uh, you know, we didn't qualify that year. We just needed a couple better pitchers. You know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, all those pitchers out there who were on that team, I'm just kidding. I, I was a joke. I, I needed to get better. And so I feel like, you know what, I, I, I'm getting kind of old, Harold. You know what I mean? I'm getting a little long in the tooth. And so I, I'd like this opportunity to represent the country one last time before I retire. And the fact that he's getting that opportunity, I can't imagine what it's going to feel like for Adam to be able to be wearing the USA across his chest the first time they go and get introduced on the on the first baseline at the WBC. Yes, and I mean, those things are, are important. You know, you get to represent your country. You get to be a part of, it's like an all-star game, but you're representing, you know, something bigger than just the National League or the American League. So I'm sure he's he's looking forward to it. And, and you know, that's, 20 years ago where that mm-hmm. it still is in, ingrained in his memory that that, w- that that took place. So 
those are the as professional athletes, Randy. We need just the smallest things to have a chip on our shoulder or a thing that drives us us and motivates us. And clearly, that's been sticking with him. So the opportunity now to be able to do it again is is going to be extremely exciting for him. One of the things we concern ourselves with as Cardinal fans is the preparation of players and the intensity of this tournament as opposed to being in spring training. And Nolan Arnauto was asked about how playing in the WBC can get him ready for the regular season. Just the intense games, um, that intense environment that the WBC has, um, it just uh, it just gets you ready so quick. I mean, you have no other choice to get ready fast. And, uh, you know, every game is so important. Uh, you know, usually you don't play important games in March and stuff like that. But when you play for Team USA, it's, uh, it's very important to win and try to win this thing again. So, um, yeah, like I said, it gets you ready. Um, I know opening day in uh, St. Louis is a special day, but I remember in 2017 – Nothing. It didn't feel that big, you know. It didn't feel that big going into opening day in the season because he just got done playing the WBC, which is uh, obviously a great environment. And Kerry, these guys are really into it. I mean, mm-hmm. they really want to win gold medals. My only real concern is the level of intensity that they're going to be playing with. Do you th- think about trying to play an intense preseason football game? That's yeah. essentially what these guys are doing. Yeah, I. I you, you would. It's a difficult thing, Randy, because like I said, it, it's so important and it's so much pride associated with it. Um, I think these guys will be ready. They'll be prepared. They probably have already been training. Um, you know, I, I don't know how how baseball players go into spring training if it's their their preparation to get ready for the regular season or if they come into spring training pretty much ready to roll. They're ready. They're in great shape. Yeah. So yeah. so for us, you know, training camp, we had to come into training camp ready to roll. So it, it would be equivalent to that. Just you, You're just turning it up a notch sooner than you probably would um, than, than if you were to play some preseason games or getting into the regular season. Now, Paul Goldschmidt has a unique opportunity because if you ever go to a Cardinal game, just watch Goldie talk to every single player at first base. He's a, a chatterbox. He, he doesn't shut up over there. So what about the vibe of other players heading into the World Baseball Classic? Last time, probably one of the main topics was how some of the best players didn't play. And honestly, I think this was mentioned, especially, you know, Team USA had never won. You know, a lot of guys kind of had a chip on their shoulder to want to be the first team to win it, and we were able to do that. So uh, hopefully that's showing – kind of motivated, you know, more guys, whether it's with USA or other teams to want to play. I mean, I've said before, is one of the greatest baseball experiences I've ever had. The two or three weeks we were together made a lot of lifelong friends and great baseball. And like no one touched on really prepares you for the season. So um, I was recruiting as many guys as I could to, to get back on the team or to play in other countries, whoever it was, because I thought it was so great. And you know, it was basically begging to get back on the team again this time. <laughs> and a couple of things. Number one, everybody says, and Greg Amsinger said it, once Mike Trout said he was in, yeah. then everything else fell into place, yeah. and you've got all the best players wanted to play. But let's think about this. We don't think about this enough as Cardinal fans. The best American third baseman and the best American first baseman are St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, it's – and we get to see them every day. We get mm-hmm. to watch them play every game, which I think sometimes when you're in the middle of it, when you're when you are a part of watching history right in front of you, sometimes you forget that this is not normal. You don't mm-hmm. normally have two guys finishing in the top three for MVP votings, voting on the same team. That That's not a norm. So, you know, appreciated, respected. And, and these guys are, are going to play their butts off for, for in, the, in the World Baseball Classic. It's going to be fun for them. And I think he said something that was interesting there. You know, normally – 
when it's an all-star weekend, when it's an all-star game, you, you're looking at three days, two, three days where you're around those guys and how much fun they have. This is two to three weeks. You're spending that much more time on the road, traveling, ha- eating dinner, you know, playing cards, just getting more familiar with guys. And that's what makes it – it makes it a team. It makes it more um, – kind of like a regular season thing as opposed to just an all-star game. So it, it's probably very exciting. You get to learn about guys that you're going to play against during the season and, and really learn what makes them tick. And Kerry, I don't know about Goldie and Arenado, but I do know this. Adam Wainwright is going to be recruiting players to St. Louis. I'm sure. You know, he'll, yeah. be, he'll be around this group yeah. and he'll be selling the virtues of being a member, member of the St. Louis Cardinals. He's done it before and that provides a distinct, kind of little illegal, well, legal, legal tampering <laughs> it's advantage. It's not tampering when it's players. They can do whatever. They, you're yeah. talking to your friend. If, if my friend plays for the Phillies, uh, that's my guy. You should come yeah. play with us. It would be awesome. That's yeah, well, and tampering. In the offseason before he was traded here, Nolan Arenado sent videos to Wayno and said, hey, you got to show these to Mo <laughs> uh, of, of his workouts and how hard he was working. And I, I would have to believe, with as much as Nolan Arenado has professed his love for St. Louis and the Cardinals and playing before the best fans in baseball, I would have to think he's another guy that, if there is recruiting to be done among members of Team USA, he'll be recruiting guys to St. Louis. I mean, who better than than your two best players to mm-hmm. speak on how much they love a certain city? They 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 love it here. They're being a part of it here. Uh, Arenado decided not to opt out and to, decided to stay in. That that should tell you. You know, tell other people about what this organization is and how he feels about it, and and really give them some insight into how great it is. And Goldie has moved his family here. Yeah, he had he had moved from Arizona originally to Jupiter, and then said, you know, I'll just stay in St. Louis. So <laughs> he's here. So that's pretty cool. Kerry, Randy, that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Blues' two highest paid players are going to be unrestricted free agents. So naturally, their names are coming up in trade talks. We talk about moving them, but. Where should they be moved? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. What I've heard, uh, just kind of talking to people around the league, is that the Blues are in sell mode. I don't think that any sort of record, even 10-0, and 0, would get to a point where the Blues would kind of hang on to things and, and try to make something of this season. That's our friend Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. And, Kerry, it does appear, as JR said, that the Blues are going to be sellers at the trade deadline. That is a sensible move, in my opinion, on their part. And the big names that are possibly going to get moved are Ryan O'Reilly. And he needs to, I think, show a level of health before he comes back, or when he comes back, before March 3rd. And then Vladimir Tarasenko. We always talk about the, the Blues moving these guys, but mm-hmm. they have to have a place to go, too, yep. right? Yep. So here's what I'm thinking, at least initially, is when you look at what the Rangers are and the fact that one of Vladimir Tarasenko's best friends, Artemi Panarin, plays for the Rangers, they're in the playoff hunt. They aren't an absolute lock for the playoffs right now. They're third in the Metropolitan Division with 64 points, but they're in pretty good shape. But they also can use, at least again, in my not very humble opinion, they could use a guy that, that scores goals because they're middle of the pack in terms of goal scoring. I think the Rangers would be a really good fit. Cap space-wise, in terms of what they could give up draft choice-wise to get a guy like Tarasenko, 
I, th- I think the Rangers, who, by the way, are just six goals ahead of the Blues this season, I think they could use the goal-scoring oomph that a, a Vladimir Tarasenko would provide them. What about the—I'm um, looking at the Oilers and, and potentially— Adding him with with McDavid and Drysaddle, how, That's how does, scary? I mean, if you're the Oilers and you're you're right there, you're number four in the in the Pacific Division. You, you are you know on the cusp, on the brink of, of potentially getting into the playoffs and having a playoff spot. That could be a spot where you would think that he would offer, he would allow his no trade clause to be uh, allow himself to be traded there, and you add him with those guys. That is a a potentially. Very oh, dangerous. Lethal. Yeah. And that's a team that hasn't gotten over the top. Even though they're tied for, for the league lead in goals with 192, Vladimir Tarasenko is a guy that has A, produced during the postseason, and B, has won a Stanley Cup. And I don't think that experience is something that can be overlooked. Yeah. And and, and some places you want to make sure that when you do make the trade, um, it doesn't ruffle what, what continuity you already have there. And, and so... When you're looking at a team that is maybe already in the playoffs or solidified with their roster and their their group of guys, you don't want to bring a new guy in to kind of ruffle that 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 the feathers of what's going on. But a team that is right there on the brink, still fighting, scratching and clawing, that may need that jolt, uh, a guy, the goal scorer that can come in and get you right in there, I, I think would be beneficial. Another part of this that I look at is with O'Reilly, his defensive ability. Mm-hmm. Because this is a guy that every time the Blues play Edmonton, he shuts McDavid down. Yep. When the Blues played in the playoffs against Colorado last year, McKinnon was a complete non-factor. I believe Ryan O'Reilly can help a lot of teams, but if if I'm the Dallas Stars right now, and I'm leading the Western Conference, mm-hmm. and I've got Rupe Hintz as a center, and uh, right now I'm playing Pavelski and Robertson on the wings, Sagan is still there as number two center. But if I know that I have to go up against people like uh, McDavid, McKinnon in the playoffs, I want a shutdown center. There's nothing like having a guy like that, again, who's won a Stanley Cup and you know can shut the opposition's top center down. There's going to be, I believe, a lot of interest in Ryan O'Reilly. But if I'm Dallas and I have a lot of prospects to move, that's probably the the team that I would hope would bid the most. And here's the 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 converse uh, part of that. If you are Ryan O'Reilly and you're going to the Stars, he's not a guy that you think is going to score a, a lot of goals, which means he's not a guy that you're looking to to give you mm-hmm. that jolt of offense. You're looking at him to to be sound, win faceoffs, be sound defensively, and make the right play. And so now you get a guy on your roster like that, it could definitely give you the jolt that you need to continue to go, and once you make it into the playoffs, help you, a guy that is a captain, who has had playoff success, who knows what it takes to win a championship, that is a guy that you look at and say, yeah, we could add him to our roster, and we could even be better than we are right now. So even like, you mentioned Edmonton for Vladdy. Yeah. Edmonton would be a great spot for Mm O'Reilly. Calgary... I think Panger said they probably will not be in the hunt, but Carolina could use a guy like that. New Jersey could definitely use, and they're in the playoff hunt now, they could use a Tarasenko. Boston seems to be in pretty good shape, but Jim Montgomery knows those guys intimately, yeah, and they yeah. always seem to make the, the Bruins always seem to make a big move at the deadline. Boston for me doesn't feel like it. I mean, they're rolling, right? Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. are you. I wouldn't want to be the one to to make that trade and make the decision to break to, because when you bring somebody in, somebody has to leave. Right. And now, if you if you lose two or three games in a row and you're Boston, you could be looking like, well, what? Why did we make that decision when we we're already rolling in the way that we we were? I, I think that. 
may be a team that you that stands pat and doesn't look to make anything to bring anyone in. Let me give you one other possibility here. Mark Stone of Vegas, who I believe is their highest paid player, out for the year now. Mm. And if you want to replace Mark Stone's offensive production with potential offensive production, because Vladdy's not having the best year, he's, he's not terrible. But if I'm Vegas, I'm looking hard at the Blues forward situation. If you are an opposing team, knowing that these guys are free agents, knowing that the Blues are sellers, are you willing to give up as much as you would had they, if they were still under contract or if they were, were you know, wanting to stay in St. Louis and the Blues weren't a, a team that was selling at the trade deadline? There were four or five Uf, upcoming UFAs last year that were traded by sellers for number one picks. Okay, it was yeah. unbelievable. I, I, I just felt, uh, for me, if I know someone wants to be out of there, and I know you want to get mm-hmm. rid of someone, it's generally not uh, uh, a necessarily a need in that moment to to give up so much in return. Florida gave up a boatload for okay. Claude Giroux. Now, is O'Reilly going to draw what Claude Giroux did? Probably not. But in terms of just being able to get a guy that will put you over the top, a lot of teams are like. Edmonton is a perfect example. They have been knocking at the door for such a long time. Yeah. They, at some point, with the group of players they have, they need to get over the hump. And this might be the perfect year for them. Dallas, they know how fragile this is now after what happened in 2019. Dallas is a team that I would think will have a little bit of desperation to get over the top. Their owner has never won a Stanley yeah. Cup. The previous ownership uh, won in 1999 when they won. So I think there's some ownerships out there that will tell their general manager, hey, do whatever it takes to get me my name on the Stanley Cup. And, and something I'm, I'm going to keep my eyes out for is obviously the big trade potentially for a Tarasenko or a Ryan O'Reilly, but uh, an Ivan Barbashev and a Noel Achari, just getting anything for anybody on this roster right now. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe he can't get the value we want from the top two guys, but maybe we just see the, the glut of picks come from him just shipping out as, as many useful, potentially playoff caliber players as he can. And I would give up a, a relative premium. To have Ivan Barbashev on a playoff team? Mm-hmm. Ivan Barbashev's a nice playoff player. So I would say that if if you're a team that wants to win and you need a bottom six forward, you give up a number two for a guy like that, and he can help you go a long way. We, I talk about this all the time because we, we tend to forget that these are people. How do you—I mean, I, I, I know, I have, a, have an idea of what it feels like to, to you know be traded or be on the chopping block— mm-hmm. If you're Vladdy and you're you're Ryan O'Reilly, do you want to continue to play if you know that you're going to be traded eventually? Like, do you want to still be a part of what the Blues are doing if I'm not going to be here in two weeks? Why? What? What incentive do I have? It's nothing good that can come out of it other than me getting hurt, which is not good for me, and so I don't get a chance to go where I need to go. I feel like. Army should be if we're talking about this at nauseum as much as we've been mm-hmm. since before the before the All Star break uh, coming out of the All Star break you, you get it done now if it's if it's going to be done get it done now you do if you're the player you'd absolutely love that to be the yes. case but these players also want to enhance their value to the point where they can pick the perfect spot for them in an unrestricted free agency and the best way to do that is to get to a place where. You are a part of success. You're yeah. a, you're a successful part of success. Well, I, I just think about Wilson Contreras last year, how he went through the whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. He was hugging everyone. All right, guys, love you. See you later. It's been fun. And and then they don't trade him. Like the 
the amount of ups and downs for that emotionally uh, is it could be heavy for a for a professional oh, yeah. athlete. It's not just baseball. It's not just hockey. It's it's my livelihood and how I go about my day to day. That's a bit much for someone to to internalize and have to process each day. And that'll affect the Blues for the next three weeks because. We just mentioned four names. Grice is another name that's going to be there. There are going to be more players than just those five that are hearing their names yeah. or think about, thinking about the possibility of getting moved. And that it's stressful. Yeah, I, I would think that when there's a chance that you have to uproot your life in a, a six-hour span, that might be stressful. It is. <laughs> I mean, it, you don't know. You yeah. just have no clue of what's going to take place in the next 24, 48 hours, and, and you're just kind of living out of a bag at that point. I hope it's a win-win-win. I hope the Blues are happy. I hope the players are happy, and I hope the opposition team that gets those players are happy. I hope everybody wins in this situation. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up... ESPN's doing okay with all of the uh, the ESPN is dead stuff. ESPN is doing okay. The founder of ESPN, Bill Rasmussen, joins us next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Blues Hockey is on 101 ESPN. Get the inside scoop on and off the ice with the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Jamie Rivers and Donnie Fandango of 105.7 The Point. Blues opinion, talk, and speculation. It's what we do. Download the Last Minute Blues Podcast on the 101 mobile app or at 101ESPN.com. 101 ESPN Sports Center. This is Rockio with your Sports Center update, driven by Johnny Londoff Chevrolet and Johnny Londoff Autoplex. A record-breaking night last night in the NBA as LeBron James passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with a jumper just off the left elbow to become the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. The Lakers, though, fell in that match to the Oklahoma City Thunder, 133-130. to In college basketball, locally last night, the Billikens got off that two-game losing streak in the A-10 with a win over Rhode Island, 76-71. Yuri Collins in the second half became the all-time assist leader in A-10 conference history. And last night, Missouri beats up on South Carolina, 83-74. They shot great from deep, as they do in all their wins, 12 of 25 from three-point land. That is your Sports Center update, driven by Johnny Londoff. Find your roads and shop 24-7 at Londoff.com and LondoffAutoplex.com. Are you kidding me? Live from the Car Shield Studio, this is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. With Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. It's the opening drive, and the founder of ESPN, Bill Rasmussen, has a new book out called One Giant Leap for Fankind, and it's a trip not only through sports, but through Bill's life with uh, a look at what happened historically and what has happened in science and, of course, what has happened in sports. And Bill's with us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Bill, good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys doing today? It sounds great so far. Well, we're, we're <laughs> excited to have you with us. i got to start with this. When you were putting together ESPN in the late 70s and went on the air on ESPN television for the first time in 1979, could you imagine that in 2023 you'd be talking to an ESPN radio station? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Nobody had even thought of radio. I mean, obviously, radio was here, but... That was not our, our original goal was to do 24 hours sports television 
and radio obviously came along quickly after that. But no, we had no no thought of radio at that opening time. Hey, Bill, when you are, are piecing together this idea of, of a 24-hour sports, uh, what were some of the, the fears that, that, that maybe caused you to hesitate or, or maybe, maybe, maybe made you think that this was not going to work and you had to fight through those fears to continue to go forward? Well, I never had the thought that it wouldn't work. It was convincing other people. Yeah. Uh, remember, there were, in football, for example, we only saw maybe 25, 26 games a year from the three major networks. So I had been involved in sports radio, sports television, and so on. And every time I got off the air with that nightly sports three and a half minutes or whatever, the phone would be ringing and somebody would say, how could you miss, you know, fill in the blank, my school, my whatever. So, and I had done that for the better part of 10 years, both sports and news. So when the, I left that and started with the Whalers, and when they fired me, I said, I have to do something in cable television. It just, it, it was the time. And I was absolutely convinced we could get the money, the programming, and the and the stations. And so I went and tried to find financing. A lot of people said no, as you might imagine. <laughs> Programming, they said it'll never happen, and the usual, but uh, you just have to be positive. I was always curious about things, and I'm never complacent. I want to really, you know, if you get an idea, let's go make it happen. So that's really what happened, and I, uh, people laughed at us. Uh, I was laughed at more times than taken seriously early on, but kind of turned around, and there were a few people who called me, called me after that, and I would meet, and they say, remember the time we met? I didn't think you'd make it. Well, I had a nickel, as they say, for every time somebody said that. <laughs> Bill Rasmussen, the founder of ESPN, with us on 101 ESPN. And, Bill, I'm 60, and I've I've had a pretty easy life. There was never any draft when I was eligible to be drafted. The Korea, the, the Vietnam conflict end, ended essentially when I was 10 or 12 years old. You grew up in an era where you had Pearl Harbor, you had World War II, you had the the Korean conflict, you had the draft, you had the 60s where people rejected the draft. But how did all of that influence you in terms of being the businessman that you became? I I think it was the being born in the 30s and being part of, if you will, the, uh, the growing up of America. You know, we only had about 131 million uh, residents in our population back when the 1930s dawned, and we were collectively known, as you've probably discovered, the, the silent generation. It was kind of like your parents had told you, uh, you know, here's a job, put your head down, go and get it done, and don't come back until you finish. And that was really pretty much our whole generation was that way. And uh, so I think those were the lessons that carried on, and and and, to, and due to this day, I still have lots of things to do. I just better hurry up doing them. I don't, you know. <laughs> I've got ninety in the books, as they say. So. That's awesome. I, I'm 41, so I don't know a life without Sports Center, without ESPN. Do you have one of your your fondest moments or memories from your time uh, with the, with ESPN and with Sports Center? Yeah, Sports Center especially was an experiment that I had tried when I was working with the Whalers. The station gave me a half hour. Uh, each night, five nights a week for about a year. And we call it Sports Central, and I thought that'd be pretty good. And so the particular moment when we looked in just before we threw the switch for the first time, so to speak, and there was the studio, and George Grand was 
sitting in the seat, and Lee Leonard was sitting in his seat, and uh, they threw the switch. That had to be the most exciting. That that picture, oh, and we do have a picture someplace, I'm sure. But in my mind, that's what uh, that's what made it all worthwhile. I, it was here. It was kind of breathe a sigh of relief. And now what can we do? Let's make it better. And, and from the very beginning, everybody that came to work there wanted to make it. What else can we do? What's a new idea? That sort of thing. And Bill, it's remarkable to me because I mentioned as we came, we went into break to introduce you, and I think a lot of people were were spouting the death knell of ESPN a few years ago with cord cutting and with people not watching traditional television as much. But ESPN develops ESPN Plus pretty much every game, and you started this, by the way. I remember you being at Lindenwood a few years ago here in St. Charles. Pretty much every game in America is available on ESPN. Plus, and the corporation found a way to adapt to a newer technology. Yes, it's indeed. And I, thank you for remembering my visit to Lindenwood. Wow, that, that, you just stirred memories for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the technology, of course, is leading the whole thing. You, you obviously would not have been around when the baseball tried to get uh, keep games from being broadcast on radio they thought it would hurt the attendance <laughs> and then you would sit i can remember hearing the click 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 of uh, teletype in the background and the announcers in those early days the late 30s and so on would be in the studio if, if the team was playing that afternoon and all they would do is they would hear and i'm convinced i never saw it but i'm convinced that they uh, each click it would say ball wide or ball one or whatever might say or strike, and they would say, and there's a pitch outside on the fire. You know, I think it was all made up in the early days. <laughs> it was kind of fun to listen to those announcers. You know, create a show is what they did when they went on the air. They'd watch the ball game through the eyes of the tele teletype uh, operator at the ballpark. Hey, Bill, I got to tell you, during the baseball strike in 1981, I was working at KMOX here in St. Louis. We didn't have any baseball. It was during the dead of summer. And they did the exa- that exact thing. We, we had sound effects with two boards hitting each other to hear the crack of the bat. Jack Buck and Mike Shannon just had the play-by-play, and they would make it up as they went along. And so, like, we would have the, the 1967 Cardinals against the 1944 Cardinals, and they would play and simulate this mm-hmm. game with sound effects. And you're exactly right. That's the way it happened in 1981. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And you mentioned 1944. Does everybody in St. Louis remember 1944 and who played in that World Series? Well, we we know it was a St. Louis World Series. I wasn't around for it. You remember it. What are your memories of the Browns and the Cardinals? I remember that I had gone to school and played ball with a fellow whose last name was Kokas, K-O-K-A-S, and the Browns had an outfielder named Cocos, and I was convinced he had to be a relative. Of course, he wasn't. <laughs> but but uh, I always remember the, the Cardinals and Browns because the Chicago Cardinals football team eventually wound its way, wended its way, I guess, through St. Louis and on out to Arizona and so on. Uh, but I remember the – we would listen to just about anything on the radio if we could hear it, those, and especially come World Series time. And jumping ahead with World Series, the 1956 World Series, I saw every pitch of Don Larson's perfect game for wow. the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And that was that was exciting. Uh, and I still think the fourth pitch, the count went, 
it, uh, I think it was 3-2, and uh, the final pitch was high and away, as far as I knew. But the umpire called it. <laughs> How about that? Three and everybody. He wanted, I think he was aware of the perfect game as, as well as Yogi and everybody else, and it was going to go in the books that way. Hey, Bill, you... St. Louis has always been a special place for me. I spent a lot of time in uh, Tulsa and uh, throughout the Midwest, and, of course, being born in Chicago and uh, the Cardinals and early on the Browns would always be in in the, in the ballpark. So you you've had it such was, it was great. You've had mm-hmm. such a great uh, career and life. And you mentioned earlier that you still have things left to do. What what's left on your list of things you you want to accomplish? Well, I uh, as you probably know, I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's back in uh, 2014. And Parkinson's disease is a very insidious and it's a disease that wears at people. And so I, I, the doctor, my neurologist one day said, you know what you should do? You, and we had a conversation about all the ways you're supposed to take care of yourself. He said, but you know, the, the, the most important thing that most people ignore is the brain. They'll talk about exercising and the stretching and doing all those things, but nobody ever says exercise your brain. If you exercise your brain, that's the most important thing you can do. So when I started to have the symptoms of uh, of Parkinson's, I uh, went through all of finally got the di- diagnosis. And he said, there uh, are the things you can do. But above all, number one top of the list, the exercise. So I've gone to the Michael J. Fox Foundation, the American uh, the American uh, APDA, Parkinson's Disease Association, volunteered as an, as an ambassador, if you will, to spread the word, to try and talk to people. So I do a lot of Zoom meetings around the country um, talking about just those things. And I, I always talk about, as I said earlier, ABC, NBC, always be curious, never be complacent, always exercise the brain. And when you wake up every day, it's going to be a good day. Don't don't wake up and say, oh, boy, I have to get through another day with Parkinson's. Get up and, you know, hum a happy tune. What a, fa- a thought, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, a, what a fantastic approach. What a, what a great demeanor. Hey, Bill, before we let you go, you mentioned that you can still see George Grand sitting in that studio for the first sports center in your mind's eye. You have such a crystal clear recollection. We, we just heard you talk about Don Larson's perfect game. But if I ask you to give us one sports moment in your lifetime that stands out in your mind's eye, the one that's your favorite or the one that had the most impact on you, what is it? Wow. I guess maybe it would be the very first word spoken on uh, ESPN. And my my memory of that is you talk about being crystal clear. With your permission, here is the way we went on the air. If you're a fan, if you're a fan, what you'll see in the next, next minutes, hours, and days to follow may convince you you've gone to sports heaven. Beyond that blue horizon is a limitless world of sports. And right now, you're standing on the edge of tomorrow, sports, 24 hours a day, from ESPN, the Total Sports Cable Network. That moment will... 
I, I have goosebumps. I think Gary <laughs> does, too. That, that's I did, too. Just so great to hear. <laughs> yeah. Bill, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. We're so excited about the book, by the way. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's called ESPN, One Giant Leap for Fankind by Bill Rasmussen, the founder of ESPN with Donald T. Phillips. Thanks so much for the time this morning. We appreciate it, and have a great day. Thanks, guys. Take care. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. That is Bill Rasmussen. Yeah, b- before ESPN Plus was a thing, mm-hmm. he was out at Lindenwood, and he told me, he said, eventually, Lindenwood, every sports team at every school in America is going to be available wow. on video at your home or on your phone. And That's awesome. lo and behold, there it is. The 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 sports heaven is what got mm-hmm. sent chills through yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, as I said, I don't know a time where I couldn't turn on the TV and watch 24 hours of of sports talk of of guys and gals giving information on your favorite players and your favorite teams and telling you who won the game and and who made the big shot or or who scored the touchdown that's what I remember from from my early childhood and to be able to you know be a part of that interview and and to hear him tell that story about what he he sees it crystal clear. He's ninety years old and mm-hmm. can still repeat exactly what was said on that first moments of when the lights turned on and the show went went live. It that is that 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 leaves that leaves you speechless. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Yep. That's Carrie. I'm Randy. Coming up, rock and roll on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. It is time for Rock and Roll. And here is Matthew Rocky. So apparently we all learned something yesterday. Not only is LeBron James a fairly solid basketball player in the grand scheme of things, but apparently when you break a record everyone thought was unbreakable, you just get one FCC violation to throw out there? I just want to say... um, Uh, thank you to the Laker faithful. Um, you guys are one of a kind. Um, to be able to be in the presence of such a legend and great as Kareem, it, it means so much to me. It's very humbling. Um, please give a standing ovation to the to the captain, please. Um, to my beautiful wife, my daughter, my two boys, my friends, my boys, my family, my mother, all my. Man, everybody that's ever been a part of this run with me the last 20 years, 20 plus years, I just want to say I thank you so much because I wouldn't be me without y'all. All y'all help, all y'all passion, all y'all sacrifices helped me get to this point. And to the NBA, to Adam Silver, to the late great David Stern, I thank you guys so much for allowing me to be a part of something I've always dreamed about. And um, I would never ever in a million years uh, dreamt this even better than what it is tonight. So. Man, thank you guys. <laughs> that first, was LeBron James yeah. after setting the record in the third quarter against the Thunder. Yeah, first class. <laughs> I, I I loved I love the speech. I did think though. Do you finish out the third quarter and then do the ceremony? Do you wait for the end that of the game? There was, was ten seconds left. Was, there was ten seconds left in the third quarter, and the entire Thunder team winning the game at that point yeah. by about nine points, I believe, are just standing there having to yeah. watch this entire ten minute thing happen. The the. I, I thought that maybe they would play the last ten seconds. I mean, there's ten seconds left <laughs> mm-hmm. in the quarter. You you might want to finish that because I, I didn't even watch the rest of the quarter after that ceremony happened. I turned it off. Um, but yeah, it was it was. I, I give LeBron a lot of crap 
because he, he in my opinion, and, and we are all entitled to this opinion, he is not the greatest to play to ever play the game. That's my opinion. He is one of the greatest to ever play the game, just not the greatest to play the game. And, you know, what he did last night, surpassing uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in points scored, it was it is it is a a record. We talk about records that may never be broken. That that is potentially one of them. You're going to have to have a guy that has the longevity, who who has the ability to score that many points for an extended career mm-hmm. as as LeBron has done. And so yeah, I, for that you take your hat off. You say good job, congrats, and you know. It would have been better had they won, but they didn't. Were those the greatest fans that when Kobe got hurt with the Achilles, they had to slash prices by 75% because people didn't show up anymore? <laughs> Were those the greatest fans that he's referring to? Oh, well, oh, Randy. Hey, you're gonna, I'm just gonna asking. Just, Laker fans here, are we? Targeted <laughs> shot. Oh, I, I, I don't need to. All I need to do is bash the the L.A. sports air quotes fan. <laughs> it's so many of them. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many fans that you know they don't even show up to all games unless it's the Lakers. If you're a Rams fan, you don't really. Are, are, are there such things as Ram no, fans? No, no. Are, are fans that if they watch are, Ram yeah, games, but dress, I don't know if they're actually Ram. Fans. They're dressing up in red for the 49er games, yeah. and they're dressing up in green for the Eagles games. And I would have loved for to the play Packers there. Games. When we were in oh, Pittsburgh, man. we we went places. This is no lie. We went places and had more Steeler fans than their than the home team did. It would be they would be on offense, and we would be our team, our fans would be so loud. There was a remember the Chargers. I think it might have been a Sunday night game at StubHub Center a few years mm-hmm. ago, where Steelers fans outnumbered yeah. Chargers fans like ten to one. Yeah. We 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 show up and show out. Yeah, Forty yeah, ers games are home games for the for yeah, uh, it's pretty fun at, at, at uh, Rams whatever that I like. Yeah, so it's I one can... thing I didn't mean to cut you off. There's, there, there's one thing about this show being so early in the morning. I don't get to watch NBA on TNT as much as I would mm-hmm. like to. That that is the best show on TV. Uh, I, I have to go to bed. Otherwise, yeah, it's a shame. I, I'm usually very good in the morning. If I stay up all night, I'd be a little cranky. You guys wouldn't like it. Well, I, I appreciate your happiness then. <laughs> You're sacrificing for the team. Great job today by our producer engineer, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. The great Bradford Bruns shadowing today. Great to have Bradford hey, in the hey, house. Hey, good to see, good to see you, see you again. sir. Uh, CD, this has been fun. Uh, who's the GOAT in NBA history? Oh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Uh, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show on this hump day for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.